listening to the voice of Howard Stern. Hello, you rotten little bloodsucker. This is Alice Cooper. Hey, this is Justin from NSYNC. This is Rodney Dangerfield. Uh, hey, baby. Hellers are gay. Hi, this is Jack. Just back up from the border for a short visit. You know what I'm talking about, pal? Hi there and welcome to another edition of The Horse's Mouth. You're in The Horse's Mouth and my name is John Teague. Whoever you are out there in the wide world, welcome. Thanks so much for tuning in. I super appreciate it. Um, today I had the very good fortune of speaking with none other than Darren Dixon. Dicko, Darren Dixon Surfboards. Um, now those of you that know Darren Dixon, Darren Dixon can talk. Um, he's great. Like he's always one of those people that you just love to bump into. He's always got a massive smile on his dial and he's always got time for you. He's just, he's just a a really good dude. Um, uh, it wasn't that long ago that I bumped into Dicko, um, at Bell's and he, I hadn't seen him around and, you know, um, he explained to me that it was his first surf in ages and he'd had, uh, he'd had, you know, I suppose open heart surgery that put a valve into his heart. And so he'd been through that process and I was just like, holy fuck, Dicko. Oh my God. You know, like that's serious, super serious, um, on, on the spectrum of, of a guy that's just like a super fit frother. So, um, Dicko came over today and we, we, um, we, we went through it. We went through all the sorts of things, you know, like, like what shaped Dicko and pardon the pun. And I didn't mean that. I did not mean that. And, and just like all things life, you know, what shapes a human being and you can't really condense that and you can't speed it up and you can't do anything. It's just is what it is. And each conversation, you know, I, I, I try not to be too, I don't want to be contrived and I just want to let um, a lot of the conversations take their own shape. Um, and and Dick, a lot of Dicko's early life stuff, I, I just, I, I love listening to because it resonated with a lot of my, I suppose, things that, you know, my my early life, um, you know, with with entry into um, surfing and other sports and having to to draw a line in the sand at some point and just say, yeah, I'm about this, you know. So, um, yeah, had a great time with Dicko. Dicko, thank you so much for coming over, man. Always good to see you. Such such a force. Um, Keep the ticker ticking. What else? Um, You know, life has just been, you know, like life's life, isn't it? It's just ramping up. It just feels like... um, Unless you're on holiday somewhere really super chill, when you get caught up in the swing of things at home, life seems to be quick. Life is quick. Uh, we had an amazing week of waves. Virginia went down with corona. I can't believe it. Virginia went down with the rona and I didn't get it. It's like the first time I've been around someone who's been sick and I didn't get sick and I just am, I'm counting my blessings. Thank you. Uh, it's, it's incredible, you know, when, when, you, when you're with someone and they're sick and you're just like, all right, well, I'm going down. Uh, this is it. This is happening. And uh, so I was waiting and it didn't happen. So take from that what you will. Anyway, um, look, I hope you enjoy my chat with, with Dicko, really, Dicko, thank you so much for coming over. It's it's a it's a big talk. It's like a three part series. Um, it, uh, so just go on the journey. There's three parts to it, and yeah. Without without further ado, um, here's our chat. Wait till you hear two hours of crap. 
a complete and total farfarama. And then a mate of mine's decided uh, he'd had enough of doing um, mowing lawns and trimming trees and blah, 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 which is poorly. And he says, Tim and his wife went, well, why don't we take it over because they're selling up, they're out. So they took it over and decided, well, all right, we're going to take this over. We're going to open it seven days a week. We're going to open it you know, summer, I think, at 6 o'clock, this time of the year, 7 o'clock, till roughly 2.30. So from that day on that they opened... I've just gone there every day for my coffee and then more and more crew go down there and then more and more see you there. Like, you're at that place every day. Oh, yeah, cool. We'll come and have a coffee. So it's become like a little meeting place. Yeah. And it's really good. It gets a vast array of characters. I know Raymo um, gets on down there. Yes, it is uh, Raymo and uh, few of the others. There's a, quite a few crew now, yeah. Singing's there nearly every day. Really? And he's songs and shorts and all that. He has a coffee and we have a chat and all that. So... Yeah, it's, there's it gets a, a, a just a large array of characters. Yeah, and there's so much bullshit that gets spoken. It's fantastic. <laughs> well, it's a great way to start the day. It is. It is. Get out of yeah. your head. Get out of the house. Feel a bit more yep. connected to everything. Yeah. Sometimes yep. I can find myself. I'm too, I'm I'm too much in my yep. trap, stuck in the house, and then I hit Winky at ten thirty. Yeah. And that's where I get the social thing. But I think it would be healthier to get a, a day good. going. Yeah. Yeah. And even if I do a dawny, like if you know, like say the last, I know it's been pumping for the last, you know, two weeks probably, week and a half. Um, I might do a dawny and then as soon as I get out of the water, I'm straight back to the kiosk, coffee, how was the waves, have a chat. Then other crew are like, oh, where'd you serve? Oh, but, oh, I've only come here for a look. And then they're like, so you're a little surf report as well. And yeah. off they go. Yeah. Well, someone comes back. If you haven't you haven't had a, really had a good look at it in the morning. I've just looked at talking points. Oh, it looks a bit ordinary, and you know, Azza or someone like, oh no no, bells go go around and check it. It is good. It's not that crowded. So throw the coffee down and go. <laughs> That's great. So it's a little surf report as well. Yeah, um, and then poorly usually around sometimes this time of the year two o'clock, but usually around two thirty. Uh, he closes up, and if there is waves, and I've surfed, and then I might be at work, he'll ring me and say, hey, I'm going to bells. Um, I'm like, oh, is it okay? Is the wind still offshore? Is the swell hung in? The tide? Yeah, yeah, yep. No worries. I'll meet you around. I said, all right, I'll meet you around. So I just dust off and drop everything, planer, the lot, and go surfing. He is a rink-on madman. Yeah. I don't he think I've ever surfed rink-on and not seen him Yeah, on the changeover, at yeah. least. Um, he doesn't surf, in, obviously, as often as he used to because he's got to open the kiosk um, you know, at six in the morning because he used to do dawnies. Before he had the kiosk, he was always doing dawnies. Yeah. Uh, but now he might get to the kiosk and at six, and if it's not an overcast day or gloomy day, he might, even if he just goes out on his clubby melt, he might get two waves, come in, that's his fix, opens up, and then uh, waits for all us bullshitters to get there. <laughs> <laughs> Are you a dawny? I love the dawnies, yeah. yeah. That's always? That's my favourite. Always have for... Since day one, Dornies. Love them. Isn't look at my body language up front and I just go like, oh, my God. I wish I was the Dornie. Yeah. No, I love Dornies. I I still love, you know, I'll surf any time any of the time. day. Yeah, but, yeah. But Dawn's always been my favourite. The, the paddle out in the dark, the first one on the sand. And, you know, now it's, you know, everybody's down there for a Dornie because they're trying to beat the crowds. But now the Dornies are way busier than what they used to be. There used to be times where you get down there by yourself watching it, just going, oh, well, I'll go out. Someone will turn up soon. Yeah. And sure enough, crew would. But um, now you can do a Dornie and there's even cars in the car park that you're like, wow. And then there's no one in them and you're like, 
I can't even see the water, and yet someone's paddled out. Yeah, like, yeah. Jeez, all right then, off we go. But, yeah, I, I just find it – and it doesn't matter where I am in the country or on the planet. It's like, yeah, got to do a dawning. Even if you get up at the crack off and check it, um, and, you know, you may have looked at the surf report and gone, oh, geez, it's supposed to kick tonight. It could be on in the morning. So you check it, crack it on in the morning, and if it's on, it's on. Great. If it's not, it's like, all right, I've checked it. Yeah. Can, it's, a little, it's still coming. There's, it's going to kick. So I'll go back, have some brekkie, and then go back down there again and have another look, and then sure enough, it might be an hour, it might be two hours later. It's on. All right, let's go. Okay, answer me this one. What about the sunset, the evening? Oh, surfing in the evenings, epic as well. So, you know, both ends of the day, you can yeah, see. Yeah. Um, That's the one I gravitate to. Yep. You get to see fantastic sunrises, and then you get to see spectacular sunsets. So, so your body. This is what str- I struggle. Sorry to cut you off, yep. but I get like I really struggle to have my body moving in the morning. Yep. And so to surf in that state, I find it frustrating. I, I want to be like motor running. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, a couple of hours, have some brekkie, have a coffee. Yeah. Get some fuel so how do you, how do you feel like when you're paddling out and you're like, I haven't frothing. Yeah, fuck it, fuck it. The froth <laughs> overrides yeah. the, 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 the... And if the alarm's loud enough, yeah. when that alarm goes off and you then peel yourself off the roof because mm. you're <laughs> sound asleep, <laughs> if that hasn't woken you up, nothing will. And then, yeah, and then when you... And especially too if you get there in the dark, but you can see... You, you're looking, you can hear it, but you can also see that white water coming down the reef and you're like, ooh, look at that. That's straight. Look at that one. Look at that one. And so you, you're getting changed. And might, one or two others might pull up. Oh, dear, how are you going? Oh, it looks like look, it's looking good. I can see. I've seen some sets. And then when you're paddling out, and it's just getting light enough to sort of see it, even though it's got that shadow. And then as you paddle out, you just see the, and you just see this beautiful, crisp. You're just like, oh, yeah, this yeah, yeah. is so <laughs> worth it. So <laughs> worth it. Yep. Um, and then that gets you frothing even more. Yeah. Sometimes you got to actually get out there and take and, and, and just have a moment and just settle. Right, okay, here it is. Let's wait for the sets and then go. Bang, you're into it. It's fun. It's the best time. So good. So um, um, tell me, your parents, were they coastally driven? No. Um, no. Well, it's funny that uh, my dad couldn't swim. My mm. mum was a gun swimmer, really good swimmer. I know she saved his life once up country in the, you know, in the river, mucking around, doing what they do, and he was just like, uh-oh. You know, go and wade into the river and then go, fall in a hole and be swept away. So she flew out, got him, dragged him back to shore. Like she, on the Murray or something? Yeah, yeah. And so I, they put me in, mum put me in swimming classes like a like basically the day I fell out of the womb sort of thing. Yeah, oh, yeah. you're going to learn to swim. All the kids learn to swim, which I think in this country, it's madness if you don't. We all live um, either on the coast or on inland major rivers and, and, and estuaries and lakes, and they've all got tides and currents and can all be dangerous. They, don't, they might look pristine, but, yeah. So we were taught at a young age. And then when we first shifted down to Clifton Springs, we are on the water, and that's when mum used to, well, mum and dad, but mum mainly used to take us down to the beach or down to Port Arts and we had little foamies, you know, the typical thing. Um, I was by myself for a long time because it's a pretty big age gap between myself and my brother and sisters. So she just, we'd just go down to the beach and um, I'd be, you know, fanging around on a little foamy, trying to take as much skin as I p- could off my chest and all that. That's, you know, that's just what they did back then, those things. But 
Mum and You mean the, the, the blue top and white yeah, bottom with the plastic fin? GPS foam. Yeah. Sometimes they had like a Hessian y something. Yeah. Some of yeah. them were just like an esky, but made into a little liddy, boardy thingy. Yeah. You know, little fins in them. Yeah. And a lot of times it was just mainly wind. You know, especially Port Arlington and, and Drysdale, uh, Clifton Springs, all those places. So, you know, they're like knee-high waves going, you know, coming up on the Shorey. But for a kid that's only like four years old, three, four years old, getting pushed into those and then just going up the beach and just thinking, this is the greatest thing. Hey, who's this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And your mum's out there, you know, all right, and you can paddle, you know how to paddle, you can swim. And so a lot of the, after doing that for a while, mum was pretty confident that, you know, if I fall off, um, or something happens, I can swim, and I could swim enough at, at such a young age to be able to, you know, get back to shore. You're not going miles out anyway. But she just knew that, oh, look, I can, she could sit on the beach and I could be out there mucking around. Or even if we did come to the main beaches like Torquay, Ocean Grove, particularly Ocean Grove and that, um, you know, obviously there's a little bit more swells. You're still fanging around on your little... Um, piece of foam. So you're just obsessed from the, the jump. Yeah. And do you remember there was there a moment where you saw someone? Was it a magazine? Was it just? Yes, it was. I would have, I would have been still like pretty young, and I remember Mum calling me. I think we still even had a black and white TV. Not that it mattered. I think the no, it matters. I love this shit. Yeah. Black and white. Mum telly. called me in. She said, "Oh, come and have a look at this." And I've walked in and plonked myself in front of the TV. Unbeknownst to me at the time, but it was the end of the summer. And wow. I'm watching this thing just like going, what is this sorcery? <laughs> What's this? They're standing up on bits of, what the hell? Yeah. So and mum rang as I just sat there like a foot from the screen, just like watching everything and taking it all in and just going, wow, that's pretty cool. Can I do that one day? And I was like, well, you know, yeah, you got a little board and all that sort of stuff. Um, so after that, I was just obsessed with it. It was like, yeah, I want to. I reckon I could do that. Can we do that one day? Can we go to beaches where I can do that? Saying, so, you know, you're mucking around in the white water and all that, trying yeah, to stand yeah. up on your foamies and all that sort of thing. So it sort of stemmed from that. And your brother? No, my brother and sister. Um, they're they're six and eight years between us, so. They never, yeah, never, it just, the water just didn't interest them as much, no. So they just were like, nah, that's his thing, we'll do yeah. what we do. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, they never gravitated towards it, which which was funny because I know even when we were on holidays, I always loved, you know, if you, especially if you go somewhere warm like the Goldie and, you know, like you did back in those days, drive up to the Goldie or, you know, wherever and um, water's warm. So they only muck around in the shallows. They didn't want to know about anything else. And if there was swell, they and there's plenty of white water, they were like, nah, nah, that's, nah, we'll go and make sandcastles. You can go out and do whatever you want to do and get smashed. We don't care. So, yeah, to them, it's, they know, and like, you know, even to now, we're all adults and they're all like, yeah, we did. And I'm like, did you sort of, um, after, you know, watching me learn to surf this and the other, did you ever think about then? And they're like, no, no. And not interested, don't care. I find it fascinating just from even, just my own, personal journey into it because i grew up on a farm in the middle of nowhere mm. and but we had, did have a beach house but it was on the bay yep. but people to to down one of the kids surfed and i just always was it was a fight for me to get there yep. you know everything was a fight and it but like you it was just like i was obsessed i saw it on telly yeah. whiteboard of sports and like different things were surfing i remember watching margot oberg surfing in yeah, hawaii margot, you know geez, like yeah and just being like, 
I want that, you yeah. know? Yeah. And, yeah, I just I love hearing everyone's because yeah. it's not like today where all the kids that we know, it's just like the parents just take them there and it's just like on, it's on, on, yeah. on, on. Yeah. You yeah. had to exactly. go way out of your way yeah. to get it. Because when, yeah, as I was saying with like the holidays, yeah. you know, school, school holidays is like, Apart from over summer when you, you know, at our own beaches, but we'd go somewhere. So it was always like, all right, well, if it wasn't going to see, you know, catch up with your grandparents in Melbourne, this, that, and the other. But even if it was up in the country, all right, let's go to the river. And some of the, the estuary systems had like, you know, you know, like, not like standing ways, but the white water and the running. So I'd jump in, fang down on a board or do whatever, get down somewhere, come in, paddle in. And come back up, walk back up, just going, how cool is this? Um, yeah. You know, where your grandmother and aunties and uncles were freaking out, going, oh, no, you shouldn't be swimming out there. There's lots of eddies and this. It's like, yeah, yeah it's good, isn't it? There's sticks yeah. under the water. Yeah, there's sticks under the water. So <laughs> if I wasn't trying to, you know, fang around on the rivers, I was fishing on them. So it was either either. So it was always something to do that in the water. Yeah. I don't want to be sitting up here. And then when my parents broke up and mum got a farm, at Stiglitz, out that way, it was like, uh oh, well, that's a long way from the water. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, we got a giant dam on there, which yeah, we swam in and mucked around in and fished in and all that, but it wasn't the same. And then mum's like, well, you know, same thing if we go to the coast, bring a board or we'll get, you know, old board. And I was borrowing boards, you know, I think it was at high school when I actually ended up buying my first board. Yeah. And so that would sit there in my room and then it's like, all right, oh, we might go to the beach this weekend. It looks like it's going to be nice. And I was like, yep, we are. Off we go. But I can remember during some of the school holidays being out there, some of the school holidays in particular, and stinking hot. And you, and, and, you don't, and you didn't have surf reports back then. You're learning to read surf reports out of the paper. Yeah, and, and high and low pressure and systems. And, and, you know. yeah. But when you sit down in the middle of nowhere, you're just reading it. You go, oh, <laughs> so... Mum wouldn't take me because, you know, nah, it's, and I'd be like, well, I'm going to hitchhike. And she'd be like, oh, well, if that's what you want to do. So I'd get out on the stick of the road and start hitchhiking. And more often than not, I'd probably walk a couple of k's, got a little backpack on with a board, an old single fin under my arm, and someone would pull over and go, oh, where are you off to, son? You're a bit out of your way there with that thing under your arm. said, so, well, if you can get me to Geelong, if you go to Geelong, I can get a bus. I need to go... Um, most of the time, angle, um, Ocean Grove. and get to Ocean Grove. Yeah. And so I'd do that. They'd just drop me off, get on the bus, go to Ocean Grove, go surfing at Ocean Grove or Raps or some yeah, shitty yeah, place yeah. like that. Even if I got there, I don't know how many times I got there, you know, in typical over summer, it's shitty conditions, but you're like, well, it's surfable. What the hell? Um, so you paddle out, you know, you're still playing in the white water and all that sort of stuff, but you got there. And then you might go to a phone booth and if you had mates you know that lived down that way you'd say well i'm in ocean grove i've had a surf is there any chance i can crash and i'd be like yeah no worries and then the next day get up early have a surf and then hitchhike back or get a bus back into geelong then get a bus out to out to oh, uh, well, yeah, ballarat road out that way and then you know wherever the stop is there then get onto the ballarat road and then most of the time i probably ended up walking past the old drive-in that was there um, and down to the next corner, which was then uh, Anarchy Road. We're going to get dropped off at the Anarchy Road and then just hitchhike again and just hopefully someone pick me up. And 
get home again. Isn't it wild? Like all of that, but the the drive-in. Yeah, yeah. I just I think the drive-in. I wish we it was still a thing. Ah, oh, that was the best. I remember when Mad Max came out, and we were my parents were overseas, so because um, my mum's new partner was a, a captain at Qantas, so they're jet setting, and so we stayed at one of her good friends' places. And her daughter and boyfriend were 18, licensed, and no shit, had a Sandman. Oh, yes. So one particular night, they said, oh, we're going to see Mad Max. And I'm like, he's pricked. Yeah. And there's a Sandman in Mad Max. Yep, exactly. Car of the time. So I'm like, all right, yeah, can I come? Yeah, yeah. Look. We're going to have to chuck you in the, the good old... We're going to chuck you in the back of the sand, man. We're going to chuck all the blankets and cushions and all the shit all over you. Don't move. Yep, all right, because it was rated R. I'm only like 14 or something. So we go into the Ballarat Road drive-in. I'm in the back, just starfish. Silence. The guy's going, oh, yep, too, yep. Nothing in the back. He has a look in the back. Nah, all right, off you go. So we get in there, back it up, open the tailgate up and down, put the speaker, and then I come out of the... Hide and go, how good's this? So I got to see Mad Max when it first came out. It was epic. In a Sandman. In a Sandman, too. Like, I, I was just. Back then, you're like, oh, yeah, cool car, Sandman, blah, 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 blah. Whereas now you look back and go, wow, that was cool. That is a cool car. Now, if you see one, you lose your mind. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, yeah, that was a really cool. That was just a great memory, that. I'll never forget that one. Seeing Mad Max at the drive-in in a Sandman, going, wow, how did I luck into this? How good's Mel? Um, oh, he's just I, the king. I, I watched an, a YouTube with him two days ago, and I was just like, oh, my God, he's just a, he's a weapon. He's he such is, a force. Yeah. Yeah. Just even in this candid chat he had with the interviewee, it was just like, oh, you're a force. Yeah. Yeah. And all those, and all the movies he made out here, before he became, you know, Lethal Weapon and, and the big movies in America, they were all like, whether it was Mad Max or um, like, oh, there's a couple of other was ones. It, there was one, um, was it the one about the war? The the, the Boer War? Was he in Gallipoli? Oh, was, was it Gallipoli? Or was it? That. And then there's Tim, where he was a little bit, he was a little bit um, oh, yeah. soft sort of thing, like a little bit weird. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But it was just like, he was like an adult, but it, like it had the... Uh, Mental capacity of a fifteen year old or something like that. I think it was called Tim. Yeah, Not sure. You seen Tropic Thunder? Tropic Thunder. Yeah, yep. No one goes for free time. <laughs> no one goes for free time. <laughs> so well, he did Tim. I don't know yeah, about he Tim. Might have got that from Tim because he didn't go full retard, but he was a bit, bit weird. He went yeah. with yeah, okay. Yeah. I, that I, was a good movie. Yeah, he's done a lot of good ones out here before he, he sort of came really big in America, and then it just went mad after that. Yeah, and then he could do anything, like even. Um, Oh, uh, there was one with Robert Downey Jr. where they were flying around Vietnam and smuggling stuff and parts and this and that and the other. That was pretty cool. And then he directed um, Apocalypto. Apocalypto, yeah. That yep. was banging. That was nuts. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, then he has, he has a meltdown, right? Yep. Didn't he? He did, yeah. Yeah, didn't he have it? He got in big trouble because he started saying some anti-Semitic uh, stuff. Yeah, and yeah, it was like... massive goers crew just losing it. It was like, geez, a few too many beers at the Barbie, Mel. And he was drink driving, yeah. And I think I'll get home, get in and drive home. It's not 1974 anymore, Mel. You're not Mad Max. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm going to drive it like an interceptor too. <laughs> and sprung. Yeah. 
But I, I love some him. of the movies he's done in the last couple of years, you know, you don't hear a lot about them. You might see them on Netflix or whatever, but there's been some good movies. So, yeah, yeah he, he, he just keeps popping stuff out. Yeah. It's just nuts. And who'd thought, you know, like, oh, Matt Max, you know, he was pretty cool in that, but he probably won't go far. Nah. Huge. So, uh, Beyond Thunderdome, Tina Turner just... Ooh. Yeah, poor old Tina just put a cue on the rack. That was sad. So sad. Um, um, she, another force. Yeah, yeah. I listened to one of her songs the other night and I was just like, her voice is oh, unbelievable. That River Deep Mountain High with Ike and Tina, you know, with another band was just, I remember hearing that when I was a kid, just going, wow, who's this chick? What's this band? That song's just epic. And it's got to be played on 11 because she just, the, she just, yeah, gives it to it. It's so good. And then does a great performance in Beyond Thunderdome. Do you yeah. remember that movie was huge? Yeah. Yep. <laughs> they were all me. big, weren't yeah. they? Yeah. And then um, she didn't do really much after that, except, you know, with singing and that. Didn't do sort of any much more acting in that, but her singing, you know, she was still pumping out albums. And that. Even when, um, was it earlier this year, she did an interview and she still looked like she's 83. You're kidding. She looks like she's 63. She just looked amazing. Yeah. Some people are just forces. They just got um, that yeah. life energy that it can't be squashed with age. You know, yeah. it's like, awesome. and like she had a, um, you know, a pretty ordinary childhood, but an ordinary life with Ike, yeah. you know, in the band, the way he used to treat her. And, that. and then she was like, right, I'm over this, went out by herself and the rest is history. But yeah, she could sing. She had some lungs and she was just a stage presence too. She didn't just stand there. She danced. She ran around the stage. She was just maniacal. Just like get out of her way or yeah, look out. So yeah, she was huge, huge. So all right, we digress a little bit, but I do love this digression. Um, you've come out of the. Th- you're 14 years old. You've been in the back of the pano, Mad Max. You're at school. Yeah, still school. Yeah. How was school for you? Yeah, it was actually. I left left pretty young, but to me. Um, I probably should have done more. <laughs> but, you know, all my old reports are like, yeah, class clown. If he actually shut up and did something, he, he might pass this stuff. So in the <laughs> end, it was, to me, it was like the kiosk. It was like a school kid's version of what the kiosk is now. Go to school, see all my mates, run amok, play footy or cricket or whatever. Um, go to your classes because you got to do what you got to do. I think that most of my classes that I was pretty good and got the best marks in were um art graphics and of course physical education you know with footy cricket uh, whatever i remember the first year at high school at newcomb high we didn't even have enough boys in the whole of the first year to make a footy team so we had to play soccer and so i was like yeah we'll play soccer we end up winning the granny so we were like how good is this so that was really cool because it was something different. Um, and then we had the cricket side when we came back to school. We'd play cricket against other schools. We did really well at that. Um, and then in the second year, we were able to uh, we were able to, to start playing footy again because we were in the we were the second year and the third year guys. The guys were older, so we were allowed to. Um, then we could actually go and play football again. So, <coughs> excuse me. Um, so yeah, we just. That's all I did was sport. It was either surf, footy, cricket, yada, 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 tennis, yeah. all that, which is anything. And if they needed anybody at school, 
Um, and there wasn't one of the other sports. We weren't involved in one of the other sports. Oh, you know, we need a couple of guys to play tennis. Like, yeah, all right, I'll do it. So I was already playing. So, yeah, we're going to play tennis. So it was nearly, school was nearly like, let's just go to school, beat the boys, kick the footy around, give the chick shit, you know, all that sort of <laughs> stuff as you did in those years. Yeah. Until you got old enough, then it's like, oh, I'm not going to give them shit anymore. They're actually attractive. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> what's, what's going on here? <laughs> what are these feelings I have? <laughs> so... It was, it was fun. It was good. I, and I know even when I left, because I left, I left the very first day of year 11. I walked in, basically dressed like I am now, a pair of jeans on, jumper, blah, 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 and all the boys were like, what are you up to? And I went, I'm leaving. Because mum gave me an ultimatum. You can either go to another school or you can leave and get a job. And I was like, yeah, I'm into that. I'll do that. So I left, but I can remember, and I remember walking in and walking into the office, signing all the paperwork, doing all the shit I had to do, and then just saying, the river dirty, boys. And it wasn't, it was, I don't know, it's probably 12 months later. Okay, if I had days off and stuff like that, I'd go in and say hello, catch up with crew. But that's when you start to think that that actually was good. They were good times. Maybe I should have stayed a bit longer. Maybe I should have done year 11 and see how I went. And But that's when it started it started to get serious when school started to get serious. You know, year 11 and year 12, that's when you really, everyone's getting right. We're going to knuckle down and do shit now because this is it. We're, we'll be finished. And then we've got to go to uni or go out into the real world. Whereas I just decided, well, I'm just going to go out in the real world anyway. I want to start making money. I want to, you know, I want to buy a new surfboard one day. I want to, you know, hopefully I don't get my licence and then I can just go and, and be gone. So... For me, it was, even though when I first left and I did get a job working at good old Treasure Way in Geelong, which was just like a two-bob shop, just terrible. At least I was getting paid every week going, what's this? It's money. How good is this? So, and then you're starting to, you know, you're out in the real world. And, you know, it's like, yeah, you, you're like, this is fair. This is real. This is all happening. It's not like, oh, yeah, get up in the morning jump in the car, get on the school bus, open up your school bag, mum's made your lunch and all that sort of stuff. This is like, nah, you're going to fend for yourself now. Mum's like, well, you're making your own money. So, you know, you've got to start banking stuff. You can start paying some rent. And you're like, oh, yeah, okay, fair enough. Um, you know, you're going to have to do your own shit. This is, this is all going to be on you now. Yeah, we can help you out with certain things, but this is all on you. And then I can remember, um, I can't remember how long I was there for. But I got transferred to Melbourne and it was like, oh, no, I've got with, to go With to Treasure Land. Treasure, Treasure Way. Treasure Way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, you got an upgrade. I, yeah, I got transferred to High Point West out of Maribyrnong out there. And I was like, I've got to shift away. I've got to shift further away from the coast. I'm now getting there in Melbourne going, what am I going to do? So then it was only, um, you know, Weekends, maybe playing footy or cricket, and if I had a chance, if and, and, and particularly with some of the guys, I knew they had you know guys that had um, their older brothers that had cars. I was like, oh, well, we're going for a surf this weekend. You want to come for a surf? Yeah, all right, yeah, shit, shit, shit. No worries, let's go, let's go. So it made it harder and harder at that stage. And then, um, I during my period there, I then went, a mate of mine had started an apprenticeship in the city. But as a graphics reproducer, and I was like, and he said, look, um, 
usually around, uh, I think it's November, December, they start looking on putting on a couple of apprentices for the next year. And I was like, yeah, all right. Someone went in and, yeah, you're in. You got start in when this was the epic. Um, I had, I didn't have to start till February, I think it was. Yeah, they had closed it down sort of through January, school holidays, all that sort of stuff. I'm sorry, what was it? Graphics reproducer. What, what is that? Do, what is that? So back in the day, like it's all on computer now, but back in the day, um, it's 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 with the printing process and stuff like that. So you, know, you get crew come in, um, you might get the ad ad, ad ad advertising agencies come in, plonk all this stuff in front of you, going right. This is a full page ad for you know it might be Chanel, it might be Kmart, it might be this. It's all in black and white. But we want this in colour. So then you get it, we take a photo of it, then we separate all the colour out of it, you know, the cyan, magenta, yellow, um, black. Um, and then, you know, um, so we do all the separations and then we work out which colours are going to be where and what's stronger and yada, yada, yada. And then you end up with your four negatives and then your four positives for printing, for um, like for screen printing they use positives. A lot of times with just... That the printing back in those days, because we would, the company I was with, they were doing stuff for the Age, the Sun, the Sun Herald. Um, uh, it was the Sun and then the and the Herald before it joined. So you had these big broadsheets. So we're doing all the stuff for them, and then a lot of other stuff that were magazines like the Women's Day, Women's Weekly, uh, all those sort of full color things. But we had to do everything by hand. We didn't have color scanners and. Colour separation things like they do on computers now, where you just click, 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 and oh, there, oh, there's your ad. How cool is this? We were doing this by hand, and that was that was my apprenticeship. So, um, but I had to move into the because that was in the middle of Melbourne, in the middle of the city. So I had to move down to um, I moved to North Fitzroy. I was living there because I was across my grandmother's across the road, which came in handy because I'd get home some nights and go out the back. And then I look at the back where the back gate is, and there'd be a loaf of bread and maybe some eggs and some milk. And I was like, "Thanks, Grandma. <laughs> She's looking after me." And then on the weekends, on a Friday night, I on Friday, sorry, I'd go to work. I'd jump on a tram at North Fitzroy with a, I think it was six two, bright yellow twin fin lawn surf shop, and I reckon Brandy may have sold it to me too. Um. And go into the city and just the looks you get, you was, know, with the backpack was, on. Was Brownie working at the lawn surf shop? Yeah, but in it was in Geelong. I think it was in like Union Street or one of those little streets. And that's where I got it because I put it on. It was only about 100 bucks, but I had it on lay-by for Geelong. It's just paying it off, paying it off, paying it off. Yeah. And I'd jump on a tram, go to the city, you know, crew just like surfboard, backpack, what the... And then go to work. And then usually on Fridays we finish early. We might finish at say like three, three thirty. So then I, I same thing. Jump on a tram straight down to um, Swan, um, Spencer Street Station, train home, and then get picked up at the station in Geelong. Um, most of the time by a mate and his uh, mum and dad or whatever, or a mate in a car. At that once we got old enough, and then go back to his place and then go down the coast and. And surf and then play footy and do all that shit that you did over the weekends and then leg it back to Melbourne on Sunday night or get the red the red eye on a, a Monday morning. Same thing. I can remember a couple of times going back on a Sunday night. Not many trams running on a Sunday night in Melbourne back in those days. So I'd be sitting there waiting. I'd just go, oh, I'm going to start walking. So I'd just walk through the city. 
and then um, get up sort of near where um, out Smith Street, North Detroit, around that area. Thinking, yeah, it's getting dark. It's probably not a good time of night to be walking around with a surfboard under my arm and a backpack on. So I'd, I'd just wait for a tram. At least I thought if I'm at a tram stop, there's people, I'm probably safe. Yep, cool, get on the tram. Still get just people like, what's this drugs this guy on? Yeah. Get back to North Fitzroy and then walk home off the in, in you know get to Queens Parade. And then walk up Michael Street to where I was living at the time, bored under arm, just going, wow, how good are we? And then just crash because, you know, you've done all this shit on the weekends. Because I can remember. What an adventure. Yeah, yeah. It was, at the time, you're sort of like, oh, I can't wait to get my license. But when you look back, you're like, ah, oh, that was cool. They were good days. They yeah, were really yeah. good days. And then. No could, phone. No, no. You had to find a phone booth <laughs> and, you know, pick up the phone and it's not attached. And you're like, ah, oh, Next phone booth, where's the next phone booth, and stuff like that. And you just There's no communication. You're just doing shit. You're doing it. Yeah, but this is something that I trip on because, you know, I grew up in that end of that era as well with no phone. And it was like you are jammed into the present. And therefore, when you see someone, you are so much more excited to see that person because yeah. there'd been no communication. That's right. And there'd been yeah. no, like seeing what they've been doing with their life yeah. there was yeah. only just let's talk to each other and find out what the fuck you've been yeah. doing unless you know you get a you know occasionally you might get a letter off your parents but birthday cards and christmas cards off various relatives or even off friends and that that was it that was all your communication was with those people it's like oh here's my birthday today oh shit. Yeah, yeah. look at the mailbox there you go i haven't heard of them for ages what's <laughs> going on there so to to go and do that sort of stuff at that age too um, and, you know, that was like over four years. I, I did two years in Melbourne, then I shifted back because I was like, right, I'm done with this. I've got to get back. And then I shifted down here. Um, but to do those couple of years and just leg it out, just to go, all right, this is, that, this is the only way I'm going to be able to do this is I'm living in Melbourne, I'm sharing a place. And then one of the guys that I was sharing with, then he got a car, so then we were driving up. So that made it a little bit easier. Um, but to, to make the effort to go, right, Friday, Arvo, board, backpack, I'm going home, I'm surfing, playing footy and doing whatever other shit that I was doing, going out, getting pissed, you know, all that. And then to come back on the Sunday night and just collapse uh, or crack off dawn Monday morning and, and going straight into the factory and just walking in with board and backpack and, you know, bleary-eyed going, you've had a big weekend. I was like, yeah, I've had a big weekend. And then working all day Monday, then getting on the five o'clock tram to go home and it's packed everybody wants to get home and you're just trying to get on with the board you might miss the first tram because you're just like ah oh, i'm not fitting on there yeah, so yeah. away from the next or, or, or leg it to the next you know a couple of stops so the next tram gets to you and just doing that that's because just what you did there's no how else are you going to get around there's, there's no other way to do it um but then when, you know, as you're getting older and you're starting to get towards, you know, you've got mates that are getting their licences that might be older or their brothers and that sort of thing, that's when it's sort of like, oh, this is pretty cool. This is pretty cool. And I can even remember, I still didn't have my licence and um, I was playing footy for Newcomb. Because I, I played footy for Newcomb, Drysdale and um, Anarchy when we first moved out there. But I was Drysdale and Newcomb. So Torquay's always been like the enemy. And... But I, I know a lot of crew from that era that played 
here and they're good mates now and they played for Torquay. All right, yeah, I used to play. Then I would have played against you then. Yeah, blah, blah, blah. So it's it's bizarre. It's like all these years later, it's like, I remember playing against Yeah, you remember that. But I can remember one day, um, uh, by the time I'd surfed all morning, it was pumping, pumping. And the actual um, girlfriend I had at the time had a license. So, sweet, let's go for a dawning. It's going to be waves. It's going to be waves. Yep, surfed, <laughs> surfed possos, got a million waves, came in. We've got to be at, um, I, it wasn't at Newcombs. It might have been Bowen Heads or somewhere like that. So, we went straight there. And I was playing in the first at this stage. And I got to half time and I'm just about asleep. Yeah, and even the coach said to me, did you surf this morning? I'm like, yeah, I did. He goes, yeah, because you can hardly get out of a gallop. I was like, yeah, I know. I knew that I could run all day, you know, frothing, playing for you, getting a kick. Hey? <laughs> <laughs> I'm the king. <laughs> Dixon. <laughs> yep, that's it. Right. So, and I, I can't remember how long through the year it was. I had a couple of years. And I was getting to the stage where I was just sort of like, nah, I really want to keep doing this because you get an injury. You know, I got a really bad ankle injury, which puts me out of surfing for a long time. I actually took up kneeboarding because I couldn't surf. I couldn't stand up because I just sh- shredded my ankle. I heard it go. I thought I'd torn yeah, my but... boot, but it was my ankle. And, um, and then a doctor at the time was like, well... Why don't you take up kneeboarding? Because using the flippers and try and kick as much as you can will strengthen your ankle up and, and get your leg strength and you still get in the water. I was like, shit, that's not a bad idea. So then I um, I can remember one night of training and the coaches called me over. I'm like, oh, Jesus, what have I done this time? Because <laughs> I'm a frother at training as well as running amok. And he goes, look, you're going to have to come to a decision. You can play... But you're going to have to either give up surfing or give up footy, either one or either one, because you can play footy and you, you know, you, you're good, but you're running out of steam because you're surfing every morning. So I'm just standing there and I went, okay, all right. Walked into the rooms, took my boots off, took the jumper off, everything. Said, there you go, I'm out of here. Never kicked the ball again in anger. Just walked out, never went back. Said, nah, I'm going surfing. You're not, I'm not, I can't do this anymore. Um... If I, you know, you get injured, you miss surfing, you're just like losing it because you make so much effort at that age to get there and organise, you know, with mates and then you're ringing them going, oh, I'm not going to be able to make it, I've just done my ankle or, or this or that and the other and they're like, oh, no, you're kidding, oh, we're all packed to go and you're like, oh, I'm mm. sorry, you know. So for me then it was just like, no, nah, this is it, I'm done, no more cricket, tennis anything it's surfing and that was the path got to that fork in the road sort of thing and went well and it was i'm glad he actually came and did it because i Mm. may have sort of kept going because it's like oh you know got to keep playing footy see the year out and but then when he he just pulled me aside look you're not even running out games now i can tell when you've been surfing plus your eyes are bloodshot and said yeah because i don't smoke so you know it's none of that and he's just like nah you got to make a decision because you know we'd like to keep playing you but if you're not going to run out games and that, we can give someone else a chance. And it wasn't like these days where you got four on the bench and, a reserve, and emergencies and shit like that. Yeah, um, You might have had one or two on the bench, I think. I can't remember, but that was it. And if someone got injured or two got injured, you're done. So for me, it was like, all right, thanks. You've made up my mind. 
I'm out of here. And that was it. Just started surfing more and more and more and more and more until um, oh, with, you know, girlfriend, this, that and the other, or mates um, and all that sort of thing taking me everywhere. And then I got my licence and it was just like, wow, I'm never going to be home ever again. Because even, even when I finished my apprenticeship, like I moved back to Geelong for the last, I think, year, maybe in the last year, last two years of my apprenticeship, so I could get to the water. Yeah. I could get to the water. I could surf, uh, daylight savings, finish work, especially on a Friday night. Oh, geez, we might be able to get down the coast, get a surf, then we'd surf all weekend. And then when I shifted back into Geelong, and particularly then when I did get my licence my last year of apprenticeship and that, it was like, wow, I can actually get a dawny, get walk into the work and um, with my hair dripping wet because then I, when I finished my apprenticeship, I transferred to Geelong. Or after work, late in the afternoon, daylight savings, coast, let's go, straight down the coast. So that, that was all it was. It was like, no, I don't, oh, shit, I'm going to be late. It's pumping. Mm. Can't ring anybody either. So you just walk in dripping wet. They all knew. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, good waves this morning. Yeah, yeah. Oh, you're a bit late. Oh, well, I'll work back late tonight. Yeah. And that's the same that happened with my apprenticeship. It's a four-year apprenticeship. I think mine went for 20. Because <laughs> the – was it my – First year, second year of my apprenticeship, I yeah, I booked my first trip. No, second trip, so second overseas trip, but first trip to Indo. I'm going. I'm going for three months. Do you remember what year that was? Eighty one. Wow. I think eighty eighty one. Yeah, jeez, I think eighty one. What a mind bend. That and, must have been. Oh, it was like I'm locked in and, and another mate was coming with me. We're locked in. We're going. And I said, oh, I'm going for three months. And he's like, shit, Whoa. what's going on there? And when I went in to see um, the boss, I said, all right, I've got a month um, with holidays, but I want to go for three months. I don't want to come back. I'm not coming back for three months. And he goes, all right, you can do that. And we'll put those last two months. You're not getting paid. I went, yeah, no, that's cool. We'll add that on to the end of your apprenticeship. So you do that over a couple of years and all of a sudden your apprenticeship, you're like 30 years old. You know, yeah, like yeah. the oldest apprentice in the world. Yeah. <laughs> so I did that. So I went to Bali and stayed there for three months, just living the dream, surfing, travelling all around, going all these. Some of the spots we went to, we didn't, you know, they've got names now. We don't even know the names of them. Yeah, yeah. I don't know where the hell we are. Where the hell are we? I don't know, but there's waves. Let's go surfing. Um and then um, a mate that I went, he had his time there. He only went for a couple of weeks and he was gone. So then I was by myself. But I just met so many crew. And one, one guy that I met, we're at a, I think it was called Peanuts or something like that. It was an old nightclub back in the day. And I've just gone in there one night, you know, just wandering around going, oh, what's this joint? There's a lot of people here. Go in, see what happens. So anyway, I'm just sitting on this stool, minding my own business, I've got a bin tank. Guy comes and sits next to me. Hey, mate, how you going? You're going to like, wow, Aussie. Oh, yeah, good, mate. Cheers. So what are you up to? Yada, yada, yada. I said, where have you been? He goes, oh, I've been over in, um, I think it was the States, for some um, clubby world titles or something like that. And I'm like, wow, that's pretty cool. He goes, yeah, yeah, I'm on my way back. I'm just going to have a couple of weeks here as R&R and then then can get back home. Oh, where are you from? Anglesey. I'm like, Really? I was like, yeah, so I said, yeah, yeah, I've just sort of shifted back, you know, told him the same story, but I've shifted down, down in Torquay, living down near the Esplanade down there, yep, no worries, cool, all good. And then, you know, then we're drinking and drinking and drinking. 
and then we're just written off. So I don't know how he got home. I can't even remember how I got home. But I remember waking up the next morning, a little bit room I'm in, and I walk out onto the front deck, and I'm just landing on the handrail, just going, oh, Jesus, I'm riddled. Oh. And next thing I know, at the room next to me, I hear the door and the guy, oh, Jesus, I'm, oh, I'm not doing that again. And then we've sort of looked at each other, and it was, it was him, and it was Marty Ma that's got Great Ocean, whatever it's called, um, real estate agency you know, down at um, Anglesey and Aries. They're from oh Aries. God, yeah. So from that, that day on, for the next couple of weeks, we, um, we surfed, we went out, we went to Lombongan, we surfed over there, and then I um, saw him off at the airport. Cool. Got, when I got back... Caught up, went to some big parties down there and just became like good mates and just from being in a bar in Bali. Yeah. And then um so that was that was really cool. And um there was, yeah, and actually at the time too, there was a chick that we met over there too that was from down here as well. I haven't seen her, I don't think she lives here anymore. I can't even think of her name. But I did my three months, came back and thought, Holy shit, I'm gonna do this again. So I just Worked, 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 worked. Um, kept, you know, until it finished my apprenticeship. But I, I just kept working every year. All right, I'm booked in again. I'm going for another three months. Off you go then, you know, the, you know. Yeah. Yep, all right, end of my apprenticeship, cool, no worries. So all these trips that I did over there were just nuts, were just epic. Um, and, and especially too when you go by yourself. Yeah. Even if you don't want to go out to the nightclubs and, and get rid of it, you... You just go to some of the little bars and um, just the crew that you meet in those travels. It's just, and even some of the crew that, like, I was walking down the middle of bloody, um, near Bemo Corner, and I hear this dicker, and I'm like, what the? That's a chick. So I'm looking around, and then all these three or four chicks come flying out of the crowd over to me and hugging. They were chicks that I went to school with on a, I don't know what the hell it was, whether it was a hen's week week or two weeks or whatever it was, but, yeah, I hadn't seen him for ages, for years, and um, here they are in the middle of Bali, and I'm like, what's going on here? What are you guys up to? And blah, 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 and all that. So, you know, we'd go out, have a drink, something to eat, and all that. So you always, travelling by yourself like that, you always bump into someone. Mm. It's, it's bizarre. You, you know, I don't know whether it's because of, mainly probably because of surfing and that, but you just, somewhere... You know, I was over in Lombong and I think it was on the second trip. I'd been there for six weeks by myself, just surfing and, you know, shipwrecks, playgrounds, lacerations. So some of the times I was even asked some of the local, do you want to, it's four or five foot, and then, nah, too big, because, you know, back then they weren't as big into surfing as what it is now. Yeah, yeah. So I ended up just going out by myself and, oh, well, go out by yourself, yeah, you catch 50 waves, come in, but it'd be nice just to sit out there and have a chat, and especially with some of the local young local guys and that. So anyway, this particular time, I'm, I'm sitting where my little barung is, sitting out in the deck, just my feet in the sand, just, you know, looking out over the surf, nothing much going on. I see a, a boat coming in, a bunch of crew on it, and um, they all get off right in front of me and walk up and they're like, you? What are you doing here? I'm like, you? And it ended up being uh, Greg Mossop. Mo- Moss? Greg Moss, I think it is. Significant signs that are down in Zilly Bay Road. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. It's got the ant. It's got the, one, got the one tana? Um, A couple of ants, and they've got a big ant on them. And, um, oh, the yeah, yeah, signs, yeah, 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 yeah. It was them. Him, 
his wife, his brother, his wife. And I already sort of knew them from a gym that we were going to. Um, and there they are. They've just pulled. And even we still talk about it today. He goes, oh, I remember that day we pulled up in the boat and there's you sitting there. Like, yeah, I know. So they, it's the middle of nowhere. Yeah. All of a sudden there's crew you know. You're like, wow, this is bizarre. But then X amount of other trips, you always bumped into someone, whether it was from here, down the coast, Barwon Heads, or you used to go to school with, you know, guys that, that you know, some of the guys that um, I still see a couple of guys here that I went to school with that surfed and were surfing back then that are still surfing now. It's great. Um, so all these, these little sojourns every year for, a, for quite a few years just to get away from here for, you know, a few months. Um, even, you know, mum was always like, oh, you know, you, you're sure going to be right travelling by yourself? I'm like, no, I'm fine. I'm surfing. There's going to be people everywhere. Don't worry about it. It's all cool. And the other, other thing was that I, I was doing these trips because, um, because mum's new partner was step, ended up being a stepdad. He was a captain at Qantas. So up until I was 25, I was getting just ridiculous cheap airfares, you know, like these days, how cheap they are. And, but you had to be on standby. So I'd say, Mum, all right, I'm, I'm going to go to the window. Can you get me on a flight on these dates? We'll get my tickets ready. So they'd get the tickets going, right, there's the date you're flying. You're on standby, so you're going to have to go to the airport. Whether you get on or not, you might have to even stay at the airport for a couple of days and you might get on. And, and most of the, actually every time, I always got a seat. And I can remember one, um, <coughs> excuse me, I got to the airport, gone up, checked in, all the boards, everything, done, cool. And then the chick's like, all right, where do you want to sit? And I'm like, oh, shit, I don't know. I'm, I'm on, I was on standby. Oh, no, no, you, yeah, we've got plenty of seats. <laughs> Yeah, why? She's going, well, uh, you can just about fly it if you want. There's no one on the flight. I'm like, why? It was shockers when I first uh, got the tickets. She said, didn't you notice the date? No, Friday the 13th. She said, we get hundreds and hundreds of people that will book and then not realise, just, you know, oh, yeah, this date, cool. And then then they realise it's Friday the 13th. So many crew go, nah, nah. (laughs) Can we change our booking to the next day or the day before? Yeah. I was like, I don't give a shit. So I get on the flight. It's like a, a, I could nearly stand at the end of the jumbo and yell out and you'd hear an echo. There was hardly anybody on it. So I got the middle seats. Was, like was, that, was, this, seats. It was it split into smoking, non-smoking back then? I don't think so. No, I don't think so. I think you could smoke. Once the sign went out, you could smoke. Just yeah. anywhere? Yeah, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> Except the first class. Because yeah. it wasn't even business class back then. It was yeah, like yeah. first class and then you. Yeah. But I put all the middle where my seat was, I put like the five seats down that are in the middle of a jumbo, four or five of it is, and just laid on the thing like a bed. Just slept all the way over there going, well, I hope I fly this date, fly this date more often. There's no one on it. It's just a couple of things that you've said that just tripped me out. Like just the fact that it wasn't that very long ago you could just smoke on a plane. Yeah. And... Doing your apprenticeship with the uh, colour and, and splitting up all the, the files mm. and creating negatives and yeah. uh, um, and and then so looking at that manual process and then looking today at what the fuck an AI can do. Oh yeah, I, I couldn't go and do. I couldn't go back to my trade now. I would have to go and relearn because it's all done on computer. Yeah, and my last year, we were the first company. 
Um, when I was still in Melbourne... But can I, I just say this? Yeah. You are talking about ads and they bring yeah. in a black and white ad, say, from Marlboro, All right? That. All that. Anything. Yeah. And But you can say to a program now, I want three girls, three guys sitting around a combi on a beach... Yeah. One guy sitting on an esky. Yep. Just a voice prompt. Yeah. And it will generate 50 images. That's right. Yeah. It is. We couldn't do that. And none of them are are an image. No, I know. But what I'm trying to say, none of them are an image that is pulled from any image. So there's no copyright on any of these images. Yeah. Which is like... Fuck. My my head is having trouble comprehending where we're going with this. Yeah, no. It's nuts. So, um, yeah, anyway, these are the things I would we, sort of, yeah. we would get stuff come in where, you know, they've gotten photographers, gone out, done that, got the combi, got the models, done all the photos, brought them basically in, developed them, because it was all film. Yeah. We're using sheets of film that are massive and small, all in cut up, you know, in different sizes, ag for everything. We were just using film, and you couldn't waste it because it's full of silver. So if you wasted any, they'd just lose their shit at you because it was so expensive. Um, so they'd bring that into us and go, right, eh? Now, these could have been separate shots. Oh, we took that one of the combi down there, but here's the people on it. And we want to put those together. So then you're just sitting there going, oh, yeah, this is going to be fun. But you'd eventually do the composition and get it all together, get the colours all right, do a proof. This could have taken a week of mm. solid work every day. The um, advertising agent comes in, has a look at the proof for the ads. You've put all the lettering. You had to do all the lettering as well, the wording. Everything had to be all done by hand. None, not like on the computer. This all had to be done by hand. And then they'd look at it and go, whoa, look, can we tweak the colour of the combi a bit? It's probably a little bit too orange. Could we brighten that up? Yep, cool. Off they go, come in, grab that negative that's got the combi on with the the colors and then you've got to grab the four because you've made up that color orange then you've got to go and redo that again and um and tweak the color and like with the printing process as we know everything's made out of a billion dots so it's we we worked in percentages oh yeah that's probably got about 20 uh, there's about 20 percent red in that there's 60 percent yellow Ooh, there might be one or two percent of black one percent cyan blah 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 so then you go back and go all right well he wants this tweak he reckons it's too bright we're going to make it a bit darker so then you'll add um percentage to that color and maybe take a little bit of percentage out of the other colors get it back onto that neg again do another proof of it so you run it through <laughs> so much labor back. it's just nuts it was nuts and, and some of these ads remember when, that's when you could advertise for winning reds and that in a, yeah. a, a broadsheet like the yeah, age yeah. That, had, that was like 15,000 bucks because it's full colour winning red like this yeah, big yeah, packet yeah. of cigarettes smoke this it's good shit <laughs> and you're like going wow how's these you think back on it now going, oh, you've got to be kidding we did all that stuff but that's what we did that's how you did it and then my last year Particularly in my last year at Show Ads in Melbourne, they got the first scanner in the country in here. Now, today when you get a scanner, you scan it with this, your phone. This scanner, I shit you not, would be twice this table. Huge. Massive. It was a million bucks or something. And then you open up, I mean, it's got a tube on it. You put your film on there, then you punch in. The, 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 all right, we've got to get this thing to do cyan on that and this, that. And this was the sort of the start of 
Ooh, this is trippy. Stuff's getting real with computers now. These these scanners were just massive, and then it might take them a couple of days to then come in and go, right, oh, I've scanned that, and there's your colours. You've just got to add type and this and that and the other. So they've done the photo on there for you. So you do all that. Um, and then... And then they had these, I think they were called pagination systems, which was sort of very similar to what, we, what they were doing now. It was just starting where they could actually do stuff and it'd be like a, a, like a program and sort of do these things. And, and I know they were saying to me, oh, yeah, we're getting computer. We're going to start getting some computer stuff done with, and they're massive, like huge, and we'll be able to sort of nearly do stuff where we can run it through that. It'll come out the other end and basically go straight to print. And you're like, oh, shit, really? Wow, that's out there there won't be any like a like a shame machine nearly mm. what do you need to shape that for running through that clean up done so just, and then when I I shifted back um, I stopped working in Melbourne and, and started at um, oh, List Print in Geelong um, they had scanners and they were and, and I know then even my, and when I'd finished there that there was a lot of stuff starting to creep in that was like wow this is sort of this is all of a sudden going up in technology. There was all this new stuff going on. But we were still doing everything by hand. But a lot of the colour stuff may have been done on the scanners to make it a bit easier for us so that we could get that stuff and then just make up the rest of the ad or the magazine and the, the ads and, you know, cards, paper like that and all that sort of stuff. Whereas now you just sit there, click on, oh yeah, like you said, I want this, this, this and this. Page comes up, it's all done. Press enter, it goes to the out, it sends it to the, where the printers are. They just go click it, prints it. Easy. But there is a thing now that's operating in the web. Uh, I don't know how to explain what the fuck AI is, right? Yep. Other than it's a thing in the web that thinks. Oh yeah. It's, and generates. Yeah. What you ask. Well, like that. that what like the fuck is that, man? There's certain things. That you'll do on your phone, you know, whether it's on YouTube or whatever. And, you know, you might have watched all these little docos, say, all these little bits and pieces on YouTube, but then the next day you go back to it and, and a ton of them come up. And you're oh, like, wait a minute. Yeah. I look didn't at, ask for that. Look at a pair of shoes and that. Oh, yeah. a million pairs of shoes later. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, and, and to have technology now, I still, it, it still even baffles me to this day from coming, you know, from what I was doing on my, um, at my apprenticeship. And remember, you know, remember that giant scanner that took up a whole room to now it's in my pocket that I can go and take a photo of something. Um, cool photo, combi, chick, you know, down here. And then I can actually just send that if it's, if it's big enough, um, you know, enough resolution. I just go, oh, where's me mate in Sydney? Yeah, there he is. I'll send that photo to him. Oh, look, can you do me a couple of prints of this? Um, a couple of deck inlays. I've got to put them on a board. Done. And it's just on this. Yeah. It's nuts. Occasionally I've got a... Uh, I remember we were doing some, doing some board inlays for Rippy and we were getting deck inlays done, but they didn't have enough oomph, so they had to retake the photos and just put more oomph, you know, gig, whatever in it, and then print it. Done. Easy. Um, well, I remember in the 80s, just like the dream was like a pocket television. 
Mm. You know, it was like a thing that didn't exist, or may, maybe maybe yeah. you'd seen it on telly or something, and then she didn't even get the digital watch. You were the king. Oh right, you yeah, know, exactly. The, the calculator face with red red digits. Yeah, press oh, the, the red dig- digits. Yeah. And then you can spell, you know, all the kids Boots, are like, hey, yeah. moves. Wow, geez, we're the kings now, aren't we? Look at us go. Oh, my God. But, yeah, anyway, look, so it's fucking tri- a trip. It is it a is. trip. It is. And it's going to get trippier. So yeah. you've done two apprenticeships. Yeah, basically. Because um, when I was at Lisprint, I was like, oh, I'm really getting sick of this. Because, and it still happens to this day, but... Because a lot of the advertising agents come in, and none of those guys back then that had the... It was like on Fast Forward with Steve Izard and that, where <laughs> they had the big shoulder-padded suits on and their hair in ponytails driving Porsches and shit like that. Coming in and saying, right, this is what I want. This is going to be the front page of GQ magazine, blah, blah, blah. We want this colour, this colour, and we want this colour to do to this colour. And you're sitting there going... Yeah. And you're trying to explain to them... And the, and the classic one is... All right, we want the top of the page to go a blue fade down to red down here, but we don't want any purple. Good luck with that. Go and look at a rainbow. What happens when you mix all these colours together? Red and blue makes purple. Blue and um, yellow makes green. All these things. And they and a lot of the times they wouldn't understand. No, 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 but we wanted to do that. I'm going, look, the only way I can make that go blue to red like that is if we do blue there... Maybe put some type across there to hide the joint. What are you up to? And it's, it's, it's not me. It's the dog. And uh, yeah. <laughs> um, and they wouldn't get it. They wouldn't get it. And I used to get into arguments with them. And then my boss would come and go, oh, what's going on? I'm going, well, look, this is what they want. He's going, look, yeah, it's just do it. Just do it. Do what you know or how to do. So you do it. Then when they'd come in, they'd lose their minds. Oh, yeah, this is a $50,000 campaign and we want the blue. And it's like, well, and then that's when my boss would have to step in because I'd start losing it and I'm going, mate, this is primary school shit. You should know your primary colours and all that sort of shit by now. This is what happens. And then he'd have to come in and go, no, look, well, this is how this system works. It's just how it works. So if you want fades, we can do fades, but you're going to have to put these fades together. If you don't want that colour being in that, red to blue spectrum and you don't want the purple where the where it fades in well you're going to have to have it in panels solid color panels it's impossible you can't do it it's just the way it is it's how shit works <laughs> so i'd get in a heap of arguments with them and yeah i'm like yeah i don't need to do this shit anymore i'm gonna go do something else and i was making good money it was really good money especially you know at that age and then it was like, oh, well, I'll just, how about I go start fixing surfboards and making surfboards and make no money, but don't have to put up with this shit and have a better life. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, so, yeah, it was once I'd gotten out of that, which I don't regret at all. It was like, all right, I did it. I've got an apprenticeship behind me. If anything ever happened over the years, um, you know, obviously you haven't got a crystal ball. You don't know that, that what you did then is now just done on the click of a phone now. Um, I could always fall back on it and, you know, get back into it and do this, that and the other, but it was just never going to be because of technology, but because also making surfboards, going surfing and doing all that sort of shit. Way better, way more fun. It's way better lifestyle um, with with 99% of it anyway. But anyway, yeah, you – and I can still use all my graphics 
stuff that I can do. I can still use that to do stuff on boards, to do airbrush on boards, to do deck inlays and sort of work out, all right, I know where stuff's got to go. No, those... Because you still get customers coming in, it's still the same thing, going, hey, you know that's not how the colour spectrum works. If I'm going to airbrush this like that, this is how it's got to be. And you just do it. And they're like, oh, yeah, all right, I get it. Okay, yeah. <laughs> um, so, you know, you would have learned a lot of this stuff with colours in primary school. It's how it works. It's not just with printing or airbrushing. It's look at the rainbow. Look how it's worked out. It's pretty easy. But still a lot of crew bamboozled by it. But after, after, and then after leaving that and going to do that, yeah, it made life a lot easier to explain stuff like with that sort of thing. Um, and we do that quite a bit. But, yeah, it was a lot better to go and start making surfboards and, um, or fixing boards, working in a surf shop. So what was the what was the first job outside? Um, I always had a, always even when I was doing that, I always had a second shop uh, job. You know, I might have been at the Queen's Ed as a cocktail barman. Always used to like doing hospitality. Always has that as a second job, just a couple of days a week. Yeah, you know, a little bit of extra pocket money, yada yada yada. Um, and then I started at um, down here um, with Freddie Mac, and then at the front of Freddie Mac's factory at the time. He'd shifted from the one where the Thai food joint went and went to where um, in um, Beach Road there, where the it's I think it's a health uh, a pet food shop now, but it was behind when the old house was there. I think it was oh, I can't think of whose house it bloody was, but it was made into a surf shop, ended up being the Edge or something like that. And um, so I started in there. I was working in there a couple of days a week, but I was going out and harassing Freddie. It's like, all right, well, you're going to teach me some of this stuff, and then. You know, it it went all obvious, like with everybody, you start off doing repairs and, you know, how to fix boards or how to set fins. And, you know, this was before FCS and um, and then showed me, you know, with some airbrushing techniques and stuff like that, especially after doing repairs, making them look nice and tidy or spraying a board and all that sort of stuff. And then, um, then I, so I did that for a while, um, working in there. And then I, and then I actually got, where um, Bells Beach Surf Shop is now. I actually opened up my own shop there. And then Russ Graham, and that, he, had out, he had Moonlight Laminating at the back. Mm. So that's when I sort of started shaping a little bit more seriously there. Well, I did have, if you remember, um, Tommy Rickson, Mm-mm. and he was doing trash team surfboards or something. He was shaping a few boards, putting them in the shop, and then I started doing my own ones and putting them in the shop. But I can remember a mate of mine that doesn't live here now, he lives, I think he's down in Tassie now, he sort of, him and Freddie, and even Russ Graham to a certain extent too, he taught me so much. Um, they sort of got me, all right, well, there's a blank, let's start mowing foam. And, um, but mowing, you know, now you're getting serious because you're going to have to do stuff for your shop and blah, blah, blah. So you're really going to have to do this properly. Get them rust, you know, you glass them, rust glass some of them, Freddie glass some of them. Um, and get, you know, you're going to have to put out good product because now this is getting serious. Um, so, and learn to airbrush properly. So, Gonzo showed me some other stuff, Russ Graham showed me stuff, Freddie more stuff, you know, how to airbrush just to get the techniques down and with the taping up and all that sort of thing. Um, so then that's when that sort of took off and became um I, I can remember the first board the first board i shaped by myself thing and i always thought oh i'm not gonna be able to do this this is you know this is for crew that can build shit um but i remember a um 
I think it was Jimmy Pollock, came in, grabbed a blank, cut the nose off it, then sort of decided, no, nah, I don't want that. And it was just sitting there. And um, one of the boys went, why don't you shape that? That's a good way to start off. Like, he's, he's cut the nose off, yeah, he's hacked the side. It doesn't matter if you stuff it up or do whatever. He's, it's, you know, all right, yeah. So anyway, shaped it. And um, I think it ended up being a real, like a little 5.8 or 5.10 or something that around us board at the time. Um, and then went down, down the back. All right, yep, jump in there, can spray it. And I ended up, <laughs> I did the old um, Tom Carroll spray off that, like that, you know, that flash he's got with the fade and all that sort of thing. It was sort of like those pipeline boards he had. Yeah, with like the swoosh. Yeah. Looked cool, except I, um, what colour was it? I think it was a tin of magenta or something. I spilt it everywhere just went oh no <laughs> russ is gonna kill me there's paint and shit here i had a paint all over me there's paint everywhere <laughs> hit the deck and the top was off and a bang and exploded up trying to clean it up next morning russ is like oh did you have a have a bit of a mischief with the paint last night did you and i was like yeah sorry <laughs> i tried to clean it the shit everywhere but it got glass and it got put out in front of the shop and i'm sort of looking at it and it's actually come up pretty good and all the guys out look said yeah, yeah that's how'd you do the rails because one of them i remember it was freddie or steve said i'm going to show you how to do the rails how to put rails on probably but i went and actually grabbed a board i grabbed one of titchy's boards out of the rack <laughs> looked at the rails and then put it back right oh this is how i'm going to do the rails so i got it all and it all come up pretty good and then i stuck it in the shop anyway a couple of weeks later a lady comes in with a grom one of the groms around here and saw the board and was like, yep, mine, buying it. Like, I'm still kicking myself. I should have kept it, you know, your first board. But this kid was just like, yeah, Tom Carroll. Bought it, gone. And then over the years, I kept hearing people saying, oh, we saw that board you did all those years ago with the Tom. Yeah, it was under some young kid's arm. It's looking a bit bruised and battered. And I was like, oh, geez, I wish I knew it was. I'd go and get it back. So, yeah, off, off he went. And, um, and then after that, after selling it, and I think I got just full price for whatever all the other boards were that were in the shop. I was like, hey, wait a minute. Maybe we can do this. Maybe it's not so bad after all. It's... And then you, you just start shaping more and more. And, you know, and, and, and like with any sort of shaper, it doesn't matter how good a shaper you are, man. When you start, all right, you might shape a couple of good ones. Then you're going to shape a couple of dogs as well that you're looking at and going, um, <laughs> So, yeah, there was ups and downs along the way. as like, you know, some of these are coming out really well and the boys would walk in or even Freddie would come in going, yeah, and you want to fix this up? He's like, nah, that's not that good. Um, so, yeah, you'd go back in, all right, what have I done wrong? And then they'll show And it was good because they'd show you. They'd put it in the, back in the shaping room with the lights on going, look, you got a lump there. You need to just do that, do that. And then, so, yeah, do it. Just sponge. Just let's do this and get this done properly. Um and um, so, yeah, you, you, you start to get better. And then because also um, doing some boards and doing some stuff with Russ at Moonlight, you'd have Doug Rogers. You know, he taught me heaps as well. I'd be sitting in there watching him do stuff. How come you're doing that? We do that because of this. That leads to this. And, all, and, all, and they all had their techniques, but all their techniques were all – you could nearly say like regiment. All right, this is we do this first, then we do this, and then we do that, and and then it all blends in. And you're like, ah, yeah, I'm I'm starting to get 
my head around this that you, this is what you got to do. Um, so, so, so in those, who was the benchmark? Who were you think like look aiming? Um, like revered. At the start, it it didn't. I yeah. When I first started, it was like to do stuff like what Freddie was doing, or like what Dougie and and some of these and you know. Um, um, was Kim Thompson that. doing his thing then? No, because he, he'd left because he'd sold that factory he, to yeah. us and then he was gone. Um, who else? Oh, um, Ross Slavin. Just you go and, and Titchy, you go and look at their boards and, and particularly like say in Russ's factory and in Freddie's factory. And, um, you know, every now and again, and because going and then all of a sudden, you know, you, you get into the 90s and all the boards have gone thin and kicked and all that. And, and I can remember seeing all their boards going, all right, I want to get as good as these guys. I want to have my boards like that. But you have your own take on it as well, you know, your own templates and this, that and the other. And then it started that when I just started to look in the repair rack, going, ooh, what's that? There's a Rusty. Oh, jeez, wow, Rusty. Have a look at that going, ooh. And then, an hour, and then a Channel Islands had come in and you'd be like, oh, losing your mind. A Ross and a... And then a Wayne Lynch had come in, and then you'd totally lose your mind going, well, he's the king out here. Have a look at this. Simon Anderson, another one, is like, wow. And then, so you go and look at these boards and have a, and, and study them. The, all right, why does he do his rails like that? Because they're different to his rails and his lines and this. And so you'd pick up on a lot of bits and pieces, and you might, some of them you might go, nah. Not so sure about that. Others, you might go, oh, wow, I like the way these rails roll off the deck or I like the way they blend into the tail and the and the, the beautiful foils, especially like the Simons and the Rawsons, the foils they had. And you go, geez, how do they do this? And when you're learning and you're learning to use the tools properly, the planer properly, the, you know, I was even using a sander because um, I had seen Kim use a sander to shape with and... Um, he didn't have YouTube to go back to then and go, oh, that's how it's done. Oh, sweet. <laughs> so, and, and then you'd listen, you know, even if someone came in, if it was Titchy or, or, or Roscoe or, or Doug or even Russ, would come in and they're watching you do something going, you know, that if you do this and, and then they pick up something and do that going, that's how you'll get that. And you're like, oh, sweet. Um, so then you'd have a go at it. And, and I remember even watching Freddie one day and he was doing the tail and he said, oh, no, these are a little bit more curved in the tail. And he got the plane around and he's going backwards and forwards, backwards and forwards. And I was just like, wow, that's trippy. <laughs> so then I went and, and, and got a blank. And before I'd done it, I thought, I'll have a go at that because I don't want to get down to nearly finish the board and go, nah, not enough curve. I'm going to do that in case I butcher it. So then I started doing it going, hey, wait a minute. This actually works. Put on a fine carton and then clean it up going, oh. That's how you do that. Um, and then instead of, oh, look, the tail's still really thick and the nose is still really thick, and then instead of going, well, don't take it off the bottom because you've already got your rocker. You're going to have to learn to take that off the deck. All right, so then they'd show me how. So then it started to fall into place of how all these people, even like with Morris's stuff, some of the Morris's stuff you were looking at, going, wow, how does he do this? Then you'd start to work out how these guys are doing this sort of stuff. Um, particularly hand shaped, all the hand shaping guys that were doing it. Um, yeah, there was no machines here back in those days. It was just we all hand shaped. But you and and then yeah, and then with um, 
particularly coming in, you know, coming right into the nineties when the boards were all of a sudden had pixie boot noses and kick tails and the massive concaves and they were thin as you're just mowing through them, and then that's when you started to see more of these um, international boards and boards from around Australia was starting to feed into the shops down here and you're starting to see more of them in the water and more of them come in to your factory to get repairs and that's when you'd be like, oh, what's this here we got here? And you might sneak out the back, take a couple of measurements off it and go, oh, yeah, that's nice. I like this part of the board. Oh, yeah, yeah, do that. And then, you know, I don't like the nose. No, get rid of that and get something else. And started to do and, and started to build your own sort of repertoire of templates. You know, your templates, they're the king. Mm. They're your arms and legs and everything because, you know, that's, that's what you're going to be using to, to get these boards right, to get them the same. If someone comes in and orders one, it's like, right, oh, yeah, that's the same. Yep, yada, yada. So, so that when you would walk into an old bay or maybe even a mod bay, I don't know, but they were the, like the, what do you call that wood, the thin wood, Ply. plywood. It was the plywood yeah. that was the shaped, the black yeah. texture line down the edge and cut out around it. Yep. With hanging on a nail. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. And you see all those, you start, and then you start getting your own um, templates from seeing other boards, or you might take a template off part of that board and then blend it with another one that you've seen. You know, same with brownies. You'd see, you know, you'd start to see some of brownies' guns and you'd just freak out and go, wow, how's these things? These, what the hell? Man, eight foot, nine foot guns for two mile, and you're looking at his, his, his curves and his. Um, it's just like freaking out, going, wow, this is nuts. How, who rides these things? <laughs> you know, you, and then, and then the same with some of, um, I remember a mate of mine picking up a couple of, um, Lynchies, but they were actually shaped by Pat Rawson for Lynchy. And you're like, how good's this bloke if he's shaping guns for Wayne Lynch? And one of them was a nine-something, he used it at Waimea, and you just go, wow, look at these boards are insane. So, you know, you take some measurements off and measure rockers and everything, just freaking out because, you know, what is this stuff? These are spaceships, like, they're unbelievable. And and then when you see that Lynch is in Hawaii and he's like, well, he's the local guru, get the local guru to shape it for you. You know, I'm going to want to go and surf Big Sunset and... Um, and, you know, he had his own crew of boards, but he, he, all of a sudden you see these Rawsons with his name on them just going, oh, yeah, these are... So you started to then and get more confidence because you can do more. You're starting to learn to do more. And, and it was really good with a lot of the crew down here. You know, I can't thank, like, the Doug Rogers, the Slavens, the um, Rusty, um, Titchy, all these crew for... Even if they just stuck their head in the shaving bay and went, oh, here you go. And, you know, Freddie Mac, you know, a massive Freddie Mac. Um, just coming in going, oh, what are you up to there? What are you shaping there? And then come in, have a look, and then give you some tips. They might watch you use the plane. Oh, I know if you do it this way. Oh, well, okay, try that. Um, it, it, and even with your sanding and then using your templates and measurement and all that sort of stuff, just all the little tips that you get off them all and... And then you might be watching them do stuff. And you're thinking, oh, I like the way he does that. So then you'll go and do it and you think, mm, yeah, I'm not really comfortable doing it like that. I'll, I'll stick to my way. And it'll still work. But it's just trying something different because that's what they've done. And you think, well, that's how they do it. Oh, I'll try that. No, I didn't really like that. 
I'll, I'll stick to what I'm doing. But I like the way he did that, so I'll do that. Um, and like using the sander on the deck to get those flips in the nose, I saw Kim and then somebody else do that and went, ooh, well, that's cool, I can do that. Because you can't fit a planer in there, but mm. I can do that. So that was all really cool. Um, so then it was uh, all of a sudden, it, it was sort of weird. All of a sudden, boards started to get better and better and better and better and cleaner and cleaner. And um, I can remember Freddie was doing some Steve Friedman's. He was bringing some boards over and he had a couple of nice long boards and I was looking really studying him, everything about them at the time. And I was saying to him, how do you get these things so clean? They, they're beautiful. And then Lynchy brought some boards in. Same thing. I'm looking at these things and Lynchy's just going. And then I sort of went back and looked at all my sanding papers and then the screens and then went, all right, well, I'll just go get finer ones and different sort of pads and make some pads and all that. And then you start to get this, oh, wow, these are actually, this is how they do that. It's starting to come up cleaner and cleaner. And see, you've got these beautiful, clean boards. It's sort of like, wow, when did that happen? Um, and the same with more tips and, and things going on and, and, and just learning more about, you know, and then you measuring more. And then the other funny one was I can remember um, guys coming in in the factory and local guys coming in with board repairs. Uh, I remember one day Timmy Richmond came in with a lynchy and he goes, this is one of the best boards I've ever ridden in my life. And I looked at it, it's just a rounded square, what everybody was riding at the time. I was like, well, why is it so good? It does this, that and the other. So, all right, okay, let's. I've got to work out why. So, I took a, uh, put a straight edge on, measured the bottom rocker, and went, yep, all right, wrote down, wrote down all the rocker at various places. A couple of weeks later, someone else comes in with maybe a rusty. Um, oh, best board I've ever, this thing's unbelievable. And then, oh, all right, measure the rocker, write it down. Channel Islands comes in, measure the rocker, right. All these various boards were starting to come in, and I was starting to take more notice and getting more involved with rocker and that. All right, what's going on here? And then I started to notice a pattern. I'm like, oh, jeez. And then with some of the lo- other local shapers too, I was writing stuff down. Going, all these different boards, all very similar. You know, my, back then we were riding six ones and six twos were your short boards, you know, 17 and a half inches wide and two inches thick or whatever. But I was starting to notice with the rockers that there was like a pattern of these good boards, these magic boards that all these guys are raving on about, that the rockers were, and they're so, so, so similar, it was ridiculous. Uh, well, he shapes in Torquay, he's in America. America, Sydney, Queensland, and, you know, same thing. We didn't have the internet to go on and go, oh, yeah, what's his rockers and all this information that we have now. But I just started to notice, I'm like, wow, all these so-called magic boards that these guys are loving, all by different shapers, very similar outlines, rounded squares or whatever, but just all frothing on how good they went. And noticing that with the measurements I, I, I was getting along these boards, they were that close, it was ridiculous. Yeah, it might have been a mill here and there at various points, and this, but the tails and the noses were nearly identical. I started to realise, well, these must be a certain magic numbers that why these boards work the way they do, because most of the guys that are bringing these boards in are good surfers, and, and nearly every one of them said the same thing about them. This board does this. This board, 
oh, drive, speed, off the top, all this fast, blah, 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 all the same sort of things. And then with all these measurements that I had written down, and so then I started, all right, well, I'm going to start doing some of these measurements on some of my own boards and go out and surf going, holy shit, this thing goes unreal. Keep those measurements. But it just blew me away how many of the board, those boards from totally, totally different shapers from different parts of Australia and the planet had these numbers that just worked. Well, to your point, uh, I don't know if you noticed the yellow board under the tree as you walked in. Yes. So it's an old single fin original sort of, it's from Kempsey. It's called Sea Juice. Right. And I saw that, yeah. It's it's such a great old single fin. Yeah. Boots has got one of the first Almeric single fins. Yep. And we put that in his in the box, the dimension box, where it yep. reads rocker, you know, everything. Yeah. And so we took and we made a profile of it, and then we took his, and they were nearly the same. Yet that was from Kempsey, yep. and the Almeric was from State. Yeah, California. And, and back, as you're yeah. saying. And it's like... Yeah. It's, it's amazing. And then... There was a funny one too with oh and Donnie Allcroft's another one. I can't can't forget Donnie. Donnie. He's a legend. He used to look at my stuff and he'd give me little tips. But I can remember a mate of mine had a Donnie Allcroft thruster, nice round of square thruster. Left it in his car, hot day, sunk. And it was a nineties board, you know, modern sort of board. But he sunk it and and the bottom sunk, you know, when the sun, the heat gets in it and put it into this mess. The whole bottom was a massive double concave because it sunk that much. And he was just heartbreaking. He's like, ah, oh, what am I going to do? I said, well, take it for a surf. See what happens. He's like, ah, oh, that's done. I'll go and buy a new one. I said, give it. I'll take it for a surf. I surfed it for weeks. It went insane. I could not believe how good it was. So... I've got the thing, and even that, and, and glass on fins and everything, but everything sunk and massive double concave over the whole board thing. And, and, and you know, and everybody was doing double concaves, but nothing like how this thing sunk. And I just said, and this thing is just insane. I can't believe how well this thing goes, and it looks like that. Um, so then I took measurements off that as well how deep the concave sunk to and how high this, and started playing around with doing stuff like that, not to the extreme of like, um, Greg Weber, you know, with his and the bend and all that, but just doing stuff like that. And it was funny. I was like, wow, these things, this actually does work. This is bizarre. This board actually went really well. And it went well before that. But And I hadn't surfed it before that, but I just said, well, I'm going to take it for a spin, and it just blew me away. I was like, well, I've just learned something else that this is weird, but this thing actually goes. It was fast. It was responsive. And, I, and, and a lot of the things about it didn't make sense because – because it had sunk so much, so you know, obviously it's in those congaves, it's flattened the rocker out and all this sort of stuff. And it was a rocket board anyway, it was one of Donnie's, it was a nice board. But it just it was just lightning, but you could still manoeuvre it and all that. And um, so taking all those measurements too off it, it, it was just with those numbers of that going, oh, I don't know about this, this is pretty extreme. But then oh, in the years to come, people started to do all that sort of stuff. And this was just like a, an accident that was left in a car. But it was a good experiment to um, try it and see, just to see what would happen. And it worked. It went really well. I was like, wow, this thing's pretty cool. And um, I, think I, mean, I think I actually snapped it. <laughs> but, you know, there wasn't much to snap. <laughs> but it was just... And, and just to sort of see it and, you know, a lot of people might see it sitting there going, what are you surfing that thing for? And I said, oh, I just, I'm just, i just been trying it out because of what happened to the bottom. And they're looking at it and going, 
That's riddled. Look at it. Yeah, yeah. Going, yeah, but it goes. And then they even see you in the water. Going, oh, Jesus, that thing flies. And you know, and then they same thing. You look at, going, you check the bottom out, will you? And they're like, What happened to that? So, so when you're on the curvature of the wave, you've got one half of the board sitting in the wave, and it's Ooh. acting as a single concave on yeah. that half of the wave. But a really deep one. Yeah, yeah. A really deep one. But then. Because it was so extreme, and then you know, like the string was so high out of it because of the way it sunk, I was assuming at the time that all right, it might might stick and it might you know, get weird, but it didn't. But I noticed when it was a, you know onshore days at Bell's making that it still went really well, and I reckon because of that double like that, it sort of held it in really well. It was just bizarre. It was like oh, this is. I don't know what's going on here, but anyway, let's keep doing stuff like that. But which there yeah, everybody was doing, but this just went to an extreme because of what happened to the board. So, and, and so yeah, at the time, and then when doing all these rockers and, and starting to learn more about curves and rail shapes and tails and thicknesses, and th- it, it's just, it was just a massive, massive, massive learning process of taking so much stuff in and particularly... You know, a lot of crew might sort of go, oh, well, I'm shaping my boards now. I'm just going to do my stuff and that's it. Um, I don't care what everyone else is doing. I'm doing my... I'm great. Do that. But for me, it was... And particularly with the guys down here, with Russ, Dougie, all of those guys, any time any of those guys, even if we were sitting in the water, in the shaping bay, in the factory, and started talking about boards, I, my ears were like Dumbo's, all right, and I'm I'm taking all this in. I want to learn as much off these guys as I possibly can because they've been doing this longer than me and they put out beautiful boards, saying Flinchy would come in and bring some boards, you'd chat about the board and you'd just be like, you're like a kid in the classroom. You just, and you have to take notice of these guys because these guys are the kings. And because you didn't have the internet your phone, all that sort of shit back then, you know, over Easter. Uh, I can remember um, John Carper came in and was shaping a board in Russ's factory. Seeing that someone's in there shaping, I'm chatting to Russ. He goes, John Carper's in there. And I was like, wow, really? I knew who he was. He goes, just pop your head in. Say hello. So I popped my head in. Yeah, you know, g'day, mate, how you going? He goes, oh, yeah, man, how you doing? I said, oh, you don't mind if I just think, no, man, come here. So I went in and watched him just mow a board out in minutes. I was just like, what the? He was doing, I was just stunned how, and it came, and it was for Mark Bannister at the time. And um, he finished shaving. Was he the long-haired rusty surfer? Sort of had a bikey edge? No, no, really, really short, clean cut. Really clean clean Cut. cut, yes. And, I know um, the name. I'm thinking of who's the long haired Who was he with? Rusty Surfer, I'm thinking of. Mark. Yeah, who is that? He was a bikey dude looking guy. Anyway. Yep. Uh, Mark okay. Bannister. So, anyway, yeah. So, he so was, we are watching him. He finished shaping it. And, he, and he's going through the whole process. And, 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 I, and I'd ask him, yep, no worries. He goes, yeah, but these blanks are too flat. You know, I can't get the curve I want to get. You know, and he had this beautiful board. So he brings it out, puts it on the stand, and he's like, hey, Russ, this, this board just hasn't got enough curve. I've got to get some more curve in the tail. Where, can you give me a hoy when you've glassed the bottom? And, and I'm sort of standing there going, all right, what's going on here? I've got to watch this. So Rusty's glassed the bottom, and then old mate has put a brick on the, at, at the end of the tail, and you saw it just go, whoop. 
and put about another quarter of an inch or more of tail lift in it. And I was just like, what the what sorcery is this? <laughs> and you know, I'm just standing going, wow, I've never seen that. So next day I go back in there and Russ has got the board and I said, oh, well, you know, took the brick off and all that. And he goes, yeah, yeah, went Once the glass went off, he goes, yeah, it didn't move. It's put the tail kick in it. And I was just like, wow, that's nuts. I've never seen I didn't know that. I've never <laughs> seen that before. So there was another thing that I learned, but also just watching him go through the process with the planer and the spoke show and just all the stuff that he was doing and just doing it at 100 miles an hour. And then you're looking at it just going, jeez. Oh, and then it just ended up this beautiful board. It was like, wow, how cool is this? And then he surfed it at Bells. Um, so it really is just a transfer of knowledge, shaper to shaper to shaper, really. Yeah, yeah like... Yeah, a lot of crew yeah, these days, I guess, get on, oh, yeah, I've been watching someone shape on YouTube, so I'm going to go and do that. Yeah. But, but you don't get the, all the nuances, the little things that. So to have these guys give me a lot of this information and then just to shut up and watch and listen is just priceless. Are some people more secretive to their techniques and some people some more. Are, forth- yes. yeah, 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 yeah. There's some that are, oh, well, you know, I'm going to do this, this, and that now, so that enough's enough, and off you go. Um, or they just won't, you know, I dare Do it say in front a lot with Lynchy and those guys. They won't let you, you just, no, shape the board, off you go. Um, but with some of the guys, yeah, fine, didn't care. I was just like, well, look, this is how you do this. This is why we do this. Yeah, yeah, this leads to this. Um, so I'd been. Do you watch Corey uh, coming up? I can remember him as a school kid in there, you know, scratching out, you know, after school, coming in, g'day, Dad, oh, do you go, blah, 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 and then go into the shaving bay, grab an old blank, and Russ would grab him an old blank, and he'd start scratching shit out with it and, you know, getting foam and shit all over. <laughs> Your mum's going to love that school uniform, mate. How good is that going to go when you get home? <laughs> so, you know, it was him, and um, and it was funny seeing him come up, and good on him, he's done really well. Stoked for him. Um so yeah, you see those young guys like that, and you know, and he had he had so many crew to be able to get knowledge off. Like not only his dad, because his dad was a wealth of it, and he just knew everyone. Um, so you know, the various shapers that would pop in over Easter, or they'd go and see like with Simon and all those guys, and get just get this knowledge off those guys. It's priceless when you get knowledge off those guys. It's mm. it's nuts because. Um, you know, they're not all going to be shaping forever and ever and ever, and you've got to handball it to someone, you know. And I, I, all these guys have, you know, like with Simon and some of the other guys up north, like um, uh, Murray Burton, mm. well, they've all had, like, well, that's where DHD came from. That's where Hanley came from. And then I think JS was with Simon and taught the, all these guys. So they've all had these big shapers above them that they've gone on to do their own thing and become really successful in their own right, which is fantastic. Um so I, you know, I, I can remember, I, you know, I'd, all these guys and, um, and and a lot of the stories and a lot of, the, you know, all the bullshit that you hear when you're talking to these guys and when a couple of them get together and you're there and you're hearing all these stories back in the day and people blowing factories up and doing all sorts of shit in this town and you're just like, how are these guys all still alive with some of the shit they did? It's just nuts. So there's all these fantastic stories that you hear as well. And and then over the years you start to get some of these stories yourself with crew that have done stuff in York and then you know when you got your own factory into all that. But the one of the big ones for me that um, where I learned a massive amount of knowledge was when I went up. I think it was about ninety eight. So I'd been shaving for a few years, um, and then went to town and country up in Byron. 
They were the Hawaiian in, town and country. Yeah, well, they were um, town and country Australia. It was in, yeah. in Byron in the industrial estate. Mm. And they were doing boards for, um, I think they were doing some of MRs, and I know they were doing McCoy's um, out of that factory, Billy Tolhurst, all these just legends. You walk into the factory and it was like, wow, look at all these beautiful boards. So, and I knew of the buzz, Buzz Bazolan, that was shaping for, and Rob Fennick. Those guys, um, oh, I can't think of the guy that had left to take to start Local Motion up there. Another oh, Local sort of, Motion, another yeah. gun shaper that went. Oh, I'm done. I'm going to do my own to do Local Motion, and so I was Local Motion Lawn. No, no, there well, wasn't a line. No, what was well. what was uh, Lawn motion. motion? Yeah, well, Gav Carroll's another one that yeah. um, he taught me. He used to bring his boards into Freddie Mac to glass and that, and he actually taught me a lot about channels. Because he was doing tons of channels back in the day and, and, and people just loved him. And he was showing me why he did his channels like that and it all made sense to me with channels. Yep, cool, good. You know. So he was, a, he was a really good wealth of information as well. Um, but when I got to there and um, oh, I might have been, was it Gunter? Gunter Rome was still in local motion. Well, whoever was it left? But anyway, said, yep, we've got a spare shaving bay. It's leading... I'd just come back from Indo, and this was leading into September, October, November, starting to get into the summer months, so they were going to get a million tourists in, so they needed an extra shaper. Yep, cool. So my first day in there, um, Buzz takes me in. He goes, right, this is your shaping bay. I'll grab a couple of orders for you. There's the blanks. When you finish, just put the boards there and do this. Yeah. So he came in and watched me shape a board. And I'd taken a board with me that I'd shaped but hadn't had a glass because I was going to get it glassed up there. So they could have something to look at. So anyway, he gets that board and then he comes in. He goes, look, this is the board you've shaved to bring up here. He goes, yep, look, fantastic. But then he started to go through bits and pieces of why it should have had more curve and why this should have been like that and all that. And I was like, oh, yeah, fair enough. And then he said, now I've just watched you shape that board there. You're going to come in and watch me shape and you're going to start shaping how I shape them. And I was like, Okay. So I went in, and it was just like, done. I'm like standing here, what the hell was that? Mow the bottom, mow, 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 mow. No clean, no nothing, just mow, mow, mow. Flips it over. <laughs> and then mows the skin off, just takes the skin off, picks up the sander, there's dust and shit lying around. Clean, 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 clean. Then, and he hasn't even templated yet. This is just a blank. And I'm just like, oh, holy shit. And he flips it back over, gets his templates out, makes all these marks, template, 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 cut, 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 cuts it out, the board's nearly done. I'm like, wow, what sort of sorcery is this? It's all nice and thin and refined, cleans up the outline, turns it over, rails, 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 and then there it is. Uh, and, and cleans it all up. And I'm just standing there like gobsmacked. I've never seen... I thought John Carver's board was shaped quick. I was like, this is next level. So has he like halved your time or like, yeah. Yeah, yeah. it's just like, and he goes, right, that's how I want you to do stuff. And and the way he did the deck, and I was already using the sander to do the decks and the nose flips and all that sort of thing. But this was next level. This was just next level, basically just shaping the board with the sander. And I was like, wow. Flips it back over, puts his fin marks, gets the sander out with a soft pad, puts a couple little concave doubles in there, then does it by hand and cleans it all up, and then off it goes. And um, I was just like, wow, what the... And he goes, all right, your next board, I want you to shape it like that. So I go back in the bay, 
And 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 he said, look, don't do a short board. Grab a mini mail because we're going to be putting those in the shops. They're probably going to hire some of them anyway. So if you stuff something up, doesn't matter. Just do it. So I got the mini mail out, mowed the shit out of the bottom, and then he said to me, "You're going to have to get rid of your blades because you're going to go so fast, and you're going to tear it." And I was like, "Yep, yep." He goes, "You got to get yourself a barrel, which is all teeth, like the machines have got." And I was like, "Oh, okay. Yeah, you won't be able to go as quick as us." with the blades because you'll tear it and this and the other. So anyway, I just mowed up what I mowed, did the same thing as he mowed the blank, um, got it down to a certain thickness, flipped it over, took the skin off with the planer and got the sander out and I'm standing there going, all righty, here we go, <laughs> and just went to town on it, put some marks around the side so I got the rails down to where I wanted them and then sort of stood back and went, wow, that was easy, that was way quicker. And then he's come in and he's had a look and he's going, yeah, yeah, like, yeah, no worries. Just just nick a couple of spots there with your plane, a couple of little highs and lows out there. It'll just take the highs off and get it all nice. So did all that, templated it, cut it out and went, wow, how easy was that? Because the rails were nearly on it. Cut it all out, put the rails on it the way he showed me to put the rails on it with some screen and a few other bits and pieces and then stuck it in the rack. I just went, wow, that would have taken me. I don't know how many hours at home, and I've just knocked that out in like an hour. Going, what the hell's this? And so then he keep coming in and check, going, all right, look, yeah, you're getting there, you're getting there, you're getting there, but you know, you're still, you know, one side's still a little bit out, so do that, and you know, you, you, have a look at your blanks. Some of these blanks that we're using, they're using all burfers, and they go, Sam, you know, have a really good look at them. Even if you get the calipers out, measure them up, you'll notice one side. You might take even before you start, just take a cut off that side, then start because it might be out a little bit and just all these other little things that I hadn't sort of, you know, didn't yeah. know about and that. So, so I shaped a ton of boards up there for a couple of months and, and getting that all down pat. So by the time I'd finished up there doing what I was doing, it was easy for me. I could go in, grab a, a shortboard blank out that it didn't take much off, mow it, sand it, clean it up, fin mark it, sign it, chuck it in the rack, going, sweet, how good's this? And 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 also showing you how to be more accurate with, with stuff, with using your lights a bit better and just being sort of a more efficient and all that sort of stuff. And then and you can only work, I think we started at 8 o'clock or maybe even earlier in the morning, but 4 o'clock was finished. That was it, down tools. Even halfway through a board, they come in, 4, come on, bip, go down to the staff room, right, dollar for a beer, chuck it in there. Have a beer. But then all these crew would come in. And I'm like, um, that's Jeff McCoy. Hey, Jeff, how you going? Yeah, good. He'd come in, bottle of wine with his wife, that, yeah, chat boards. And, oh, so you're going to be shaping here for a little bit. Oh, yeah, cool, blah, blah, blah. All this sort of stuff. I'm just like, what the? It's Jeff McCoy. Then, um, then all these, like, other shapers from around the area, you know, Tollhurst and all these other guys are coming in. And I'm just like, Oh, I don't know if I should be here. These, these, Rusty Miller came in, had a beer with Rusty Miller, and I'm just like, I am not worthy. I'm, not, I'm just meeting all these just legend guys that I'd read about in magazines, and you know, like with McCoy and a few of the other guys that were shapers, and all. It's just like, oh, I don't know about this. I'm not. Yeah. And then the same thing with them. You know, McCoy had his. 
thoughts on boards that were so far different to everybody else's, you know, because the nugget, he'd come up with the nugget and obviously the lasers app and um, all these things that um, I listened to his um, thoughts and why. Why have you gone so far left of centre? Why have you done that? What's the go with that? And, uh, and particularly when the nugget, that was like the, the beginnings of the nugget came out. He goes, oh, you know, you know, there's so many people in the water on the wrong board, so, you know, I'm making these thick, wide, blah, 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 you know, help them catch waves, get into waves and all that sort of thing. And, and then even with some of the surfers that were coming in there, it was Danny Wills and, oh, I just oh, I can't remember all of them that were coming in there. I'm yeah. like, that was, what the? Oh, yeah, we're doing a couple of boards for him. And you're just like, jeez. So when all these other guys were coming in and then, um, and, you know, sitting down, having a beer late in the afternoon. and So I'd be just sitting there just listening to everything and asking the odd question about if, if the topic got on two boards and what boards I were doing. Oh, we're going to bring this one in, do this, can you do this for us? And that. so I'd just be like, oh, here we go, all ears, and listen to them. And, um, and then, like, with Rob Fennick and the Buzz saying, well, this is how we're doing our boards now. This is how we want the rails and this is how we want the tail and this is... And they've all got, and that's that continuity thing. You've got to get these the same. These are all getting TNC logos on them, and they're going in that shop. There's well, going to be rows on Were them. you doing any of the Saint? No. The no, Saint we model? Didn't do any, we didn't do any of that sort of stuff then. These were mainly all, because of that era then, through the 90s, they were all really super refined, flip-nosed. Yeah, yeah. yeah I've yeah. still got one. I did, I've, I've got the first one I ever did, which I did for myself, and I've got it. It's, it's on the wall in my garage. Um, and even when I looked at it, I was like, my own surfboards like this, sort of a thumbtail, low-railed, um, single-double, deep single-double. When I remember when I got it back here and surfed it, it was one of the best boards I've ever had. It was just like, oh, I don't usually surfboards like this. This thing goes insane. Oh, I'm never getting rid of this. One of those magic boards. <laughs> yeah. But that's when I started to learn about more about continuity as well, about getting boards the same. Yeah. And then, you know, even if it's a, a six, one, two, three, four, five, and a six, all right, we want all these to be rounded pins, this width, this thickness, they're going to get low and they're going to be in the shop and we want them all sitting there so that when people pick them up, they're all very similar, just one's bigger than the other. So you start to learn all that sort of stuff as well. And, um, so all the stuff I learnt from those guys was just priceless. It's just stuff you never forget. So that by the time I'd finished my time up there and came back down here, a couple of weeks later, they all the guys from the factory, their sander, their glasser, uh, Buzz, Doug Unger, that was the that owned the joint, ran the joint, they all came down here to Pure Glass when there was me, Aunt Dino, and there. And they came in and had a look around, went out, had a few beers and talked shit and all that. And they said, yeah, look, you guys are doing some good work. And Pettifer. Yeah, remember Andy? Yeah. He, was, he, was, he had, the, had, the, had the, uh, the Holden had uh, the muscle GTS, car. Yeah, yeah, and the gold Monaro and all that. So they were stoked with our work and they said, well, all right, you guys can be town and country for the southern states, Victoria, Tasmania and all that. So that was a really good pickup, really good pickup. Um, and I noticed... It was a bit disappointing. So were you putting the town and country boards into the um, Peninsula yeah. Surf Centre? Yeah, uh, across there yeah. and then... Because I remember as a kid, I'd go in there and they were like, yeah. my dream board. Yeah, we were doing... Yeah, we did one of the big shops over there. Because a bunch of guys bought out all these stores and so we did town and countries for all these stores. Because I know there was one in Richmond, there was one over on the Peninsula. 
it could have been those. I can't remember the nut off the top of the head, but they were cool. But I know we did all those those stores. Might have been Jetty Surf. It, it, it was there was one. It was Surf. off the back of. It was in Mornington. Yeah, uh, yeah. I thought it was called Peninsula Surf Centre. Could have been. Anyway, I'd but be I like, know we did all those. Yeah, and um, and it sort of in a way got my foot in the door down here a little bit more because people were like, oh, they're shaping ten countries. Yep. Oh, and. In a way, in a little bit of a way, it was a little bit disappointing in a way that people were coming in going, oh, well, now you're doing town countries, we'll get a board off you. Like, well, it's the same board as I was doing before with just my logo. And they're like, no, but town and country, yeah. So I did pick up extra work, extra orders from local crew down here going, oh, shit, you guys doing town and countries now, we'll get a town and country. Um, so we, we did that for quite a while um, and did a lot of boards and it was good. And it was a, that was another massive, massive learning experience, what I learned off those guys. Um, the same with all the crew down here. With those guys, it's like, oh, I can't thank you guys enough from the stuff that you learn. And then to meet all these other gun shapers up there, because I know they had a big party um, one night, but it was not long before I was leaving, but it was... Um, their airbrush artist, he was a gun because I learned same. I learned stuff off him just watching, just watching him doing stuff. But there was a young Japanese girl there that came in and was just touring Australia on a little bit of work, and she was a gun artist as well. So they had her doing stuff, and she was leaving to get. She had to go back to Japan, and Jeff McCoy's missus is um, Japanese, so they put on this massive big spread, and and the crew that were at this spread, like, I'm just like. <laughs> This is like the who who of surfing around here. Have a look at all these guys. So the same thing, even that night, just chatting to all these all these legends of surf and this that. And, you know, I was just like in awe. Just going, How did I? What, what am I doing here <laughs> with all these guys? But it was good because not all it was surf talking. I was all shit talking this that, and the other. But when it got on the surf, it was like, oh, I'm going to listen to that because um, I remember too, like chatting to Jeff. He'd done um, Shane Aran a. Um, Towboard. Jeff McCoy. I mean, Jeff McCoy, sorry. Sorry, no, yeah, you said Jeff. Um, but, like, he, he did that. Did he do the Shane Haran one with the, the, the circle fin? Remember that fin that he did this really... Was that, was that Adam McCoy? No, I don't remember that one. Now, he, you know, he, he ended up having wing keels in. Yeah, and, he did a wing keel. And then those boomerang... He still uses those gull wing ones. They're like a boomerang sort but of But Haran wrote for McCoy, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. anyway, sorry. I'd... So, anyway, there's this board sitting on the floor in the factory... Um, where all the new boards were getting picked up from and, that. and he said to me oh yeah this thing's um, you know and back then um, they were still tow boards like that were still seven foot long they were still big boards and this one was going to obviously going to Hawaii and that was that board um, he rode and remember it was like a co- it was one of the biggest swells of Hawaii he's ever had and even T-Ray and Roscoe Jones remember they got mowed down by a massive wave I think it was like at Avalanches or wherever like that was that session where this board ended up being surfed and, and footage of it and um, Jeff was saying that um, it was funny because he they always butted heads with the Ben Lexon thing with the because even if you go on his web- website now and see some of the boards, he's going, no, I do not recommend the wing keel. No, it, you put this fin in it and these fins in it. So he was sitting there and we're chatting about the board and then I picked it up and it weighed, God, it must have been 20 kilos. It weighed a ton. But he goes, yeah, well, it's got, 
X amount of layers of six top and bottom, you know, because they're going to be surfing big waves, all that sort of thing. And it's super thin and narrow and really cool. He goes, if he takes this to bloody Hawaii and sticks one of those stupid bloody wing keels in it, he's off the team. He's <laughs> losing it at him. And it was like a week or so later, there he is on... Um, there was something, it might have been on the news, I think it was on the telly, and they're talking about this big swell that's coming and all these guys, and all oh, here's all these surfers already, you know, Laird and all the boys in there shaking around with this thing and another one with a wing keel. Oh, yeah, we'll probably give them a wing. And Jeff's just like, no, 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 I told you not to do that. And there he is, going, yeah, look at me, wing keel. I was going, no, nah, oh, that's it, he's off the team. I'm done with him. And they were always doing that. Oh, he's back on the team again, and now he's doing this. It was a cracker, but, um, but all the yeah, even and even checking out those uh, towing boards at the time was a real like just wow, these are freaky looking things, yeah. you know, like um, really narrow, thin, super heavy, you know, straps, blah blah blah, all that sort of stuff. So even to check all that stuff then and just go, geez, this is next level. This is really next level with this sort of thing, and then he was. Jeff was actually teaching a young guy at the time, Darren Rogers, who who now shapes his own boards up in Byron. And he grabbed this guy off the street. He'd never shaped a board in his life. Yeah, I've never even set foot in a surfboard factory. And I said to him, why did you grab this guy to get to shape boards? Because he said, and it was a fair call, he's like, because of the boards I do, the lasers app and the nuggets and all this, and, and how everybody says, no, you're not doing conventional boards, you're doing all these weird boards. No, we don't want to do that. Um, he got this guy because he didn't know anything about surfboards. Well, yeah, I don't know what a rounded square is or a swallowtail or what a board looks like. So he wanted someone that was, you know, the guy's like, yeah, 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 I'll learn to shape. But he wanted someone that wasn't going to sit there and argue the point of why are these boards like this, why aren't we doing them like that? We're doing these boards like this because of, and so he's like, okay, this is what surfboards look like. So he taught him the shape. But I can remember we were both in the factory doing some stuff. He was cleaning up some boards, and he was cleaning up a board for himself. And um, I walked out, that, uh, and I, I just had this open door, no, no, no door on it, just this open thing to put the boards in the rack. So when you walked out, you didn't clock anything and... There's all the new, fresh-shaped boards sitting in the rack. So I've just put some boards in the rack. Darren's came out, puts a board in the rack, and we're sort of sitting there looking at all the boards going, yeah, this looks cool, all these beautiful new-shaped boards. And he goes, oh, yeah. I just put a new, yeah, I've just made myself a new gun. So I'm looking, and I'm like, this, no guns. There's no guns in the rack here. The longest board was seven-foot mini-mouths. He's like, no, yeah, that's mine over there. And I walked over, and I went, it's... Like six eight, six ten or something. He goes, yeah, yeah, it's a gun for. And I'm like, that's not a gun. And I, and if I hadn't been able to show him what a real gun was like, what we use down here, I said, nah, that's not a gun. That's just like nearly a normal board at home. Like, and then I started saying, yeah, Brandy does like nine sixes and ten footers, and so and so does eight footer. And I'm, they're guns, and he and seven sixes, and he's just looking at me going. The hell do you guys surf? And I said, well, you know, Bells and down the coast, they're guns. That ain't a gun. And he's like, yeah, yeah, but for around here. I'm like, but Lennox gets solid and, um, you know, there must be other big wave spots around here because I didn't you know buy them that well at the time, but I knew of Lennox and the Pass and, and Angara, all those joints up and down the coast. 
And he's just like, oh, yeah, but no, no one rides like really like boards like that. And I said, yeah, but these guys are going down the coast to surf, you know, two mile, 20 foot, and then Bell's at 10 or 12 foot. So they've got seven, sixes, and eight footers. And I said, so, I said, yeah, no, that's, if you, if you were at home and you walked out and said, oh, I got my gun, everyone just laughed at you. Oh, that ain't a gun. <laughs> that's not a real gun. So he was just like grumpy and walked off. It was a good board, yeah, yeah. but I was just sort of having a little giggle to myself going, I so wish I had to have one there to do the Crocodile Dundee and go, no, nah, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> this is a gun. Oh, yeah. It's, um, so, yeah, it was um, – that was a real good learning experience. That was like – yeah, that was a massive learning experience. And then to come back and start doing their stuff as well um, and then just go on from there and, and then – Well, it's a pretty nice nod. Yeah, yeah, I was pretty stoked with it. It, it was like, oh, okay, um, just go up there, walk in, and they're like, yeah, all right, no worries, we need a shaper. So, um, so yeah, just off you go. And they were getting really big into the clothing at the time, so they were sort of having this real renaissance. They'd sort of were big in the 70s, and then um, you know, John, uh, um, through the 80s, Sonny Garcia and, and various other good surfers riding their boards, and then they sort of backed off a little bit. And oh, Kieran Perro was another one that... Um, I think he, he got one of my boards that I did up there for him when he was still on the tour because I know he came down to Bells and I was chatting to him about it down here. Um, so there was all these crew that, you know, you, you're meeting all these good surfers and um, legends of the surf and then these gun shapers and you just just the amount of information was nearly overload, but it was so invaluable, so invaluable. Um and then, you know, to come back here and, and start doing those boards and, and then and, and picking up, as I said, picking up more orders. But, you know, a lot of it was because, oh, yeah, what you're doing town and country, so you must be able to shape, so we'll get boards off you, which is good. It's all great. Um, and then just going on from there and then, um, you know, and then you're still doing some of the town and country stuff, but then other guys coming in going, oh, just put your own logos on mm. it. We, we know, yeah. All right, yeah, cool. So just started doing more and more of that, doing your own stuff. And um, and then, you know, like with us in the factory there with pure glass and that just – and then, you know, starting to sell our own and just do our own stuff. We sort of thought, look, um, we've got a pretty good rep, you know, with everyone that's working there. They're all good at what they're doing. Let's just concentrate on doing our own thing and not, not do the massive retail thing after the town and country thing because um, – you know, in the end, we, that, that started to sort of slow down again. So we, if we just stick to our own thing and just do our own thing and, you know, all right, we might be not doing 20 boards a week or 30 boards a week or 50 boards a week, but how good's that? We'll bring that back down a bit and just go about our business doing whatever we're doing. So um, so from then on, it it, it, um, it sort of just kick-started that, you know, we were doing a lot of work in there and... Um, Picking up, you know, still picking up heaps of orders. People like coming in there. Friday nights in there with Bedlam, you know, because there's beer, beer o'clock out on the deck. So Midsy and Begs. Oh, every man, his dog's there. You know, Filpy, Chris Filp was there. Filpy. Beers. We're playing cricket against the wall and doing all sorts of magic. Is it, it's there. a pet food store now. It is. Is it? Yes. I was like looking at the other day, Santa Virginia, that used to be, yeah. Yep. Pure Glass it and was. Blah, blah, Before blah. that, when Freddie was there, it was the glassing company. Um so, yeah, it was a little, real little hub for a long time because yeah. a lot of the crew got to know that we were going to, the boys were going to have beers on a Friday night. So they'd all come around and there'd be a mob of crew there and be playing cricket against the wall because 
where Patagonia is, um, they just built that and whatever was there at the time. And so we painted some wickets on the wall and we went playing cricket out there, we're having a kick of the footy. And um, it was a real good little hub. And and, um, and even even the where they built the the fence and the gates, we I think we took a piece out or something because we could walk through the back of it and go through the back to Moonlight. And then they'd come through the back to us to get stuff done or we'd go in there and do stuff. So the other good thing was it that once you started to um, get a name with doing you know, good stuff like that. Like Russ had come in and Kay's and go, oh, yeah, can you knock out a couple of mini mouths for me? And so you go in, rip out a couple of mini mouths, get those glass for whoever. You know, a couple of crew may have walked in and, um, you know, like Corey wasn't shaping then, so there was Titchy and um, I think Roscoe, Dougie, a couple of crew, but they might have been busy. So, oh, what are you doing? I'm like, oh, do you want to knock out a couple of mini mouths? Yep. Surf Coast, I think, okay, yeah, was it Surf Coast? I think he put the brand under. I know he made a little brand. And, um, and then I actually did a logo. I because um, Russ being a petrol head, I did this hotted up mini um, with fat wheels and mags and called it a mini mail. And so he, he stuck that on there. So we were doing all this really cool stuff. Um, so even when I was doing that, there was still crew coming in there that you, you know you were checking out their boards. And and then at this stage too, we, we're starting to get into because you know, that was 98, I think it was a TNC. So then we're starting to come into the 2000s and, you know, there's more, and, and Russ was getting more and more crew coming down here over Easter and you're starting to see more and more um, of the pros coming down here. I remember a few of them bringing into boards to us to fix because of airline damage. So you go, oh, shit, look at these things. So you're looking at their boards. And it was, it was quite funny at the start looking at a lot of these pros bringing in boards you know some like taylor knox and remember him bringing in boards a couple of times and various others i can't think of off the top there a few of the aussie guys and that and you and you think oh right we're gonna get our hands on a couple of um pros boards you know here we go ferraris but the thing that blew me away with them was they were actually probably more simple than half the boards that were on the racks. These guys are on the, the just the simple, nice outlines. Super deep concaves. Just deep sing, single, doubles. single or single. Oh, some yeah. There were, at, at that time, there was quite a few singles, but a lot of doubles. But oh, sorry. they weren't. I only say that because Corey lent me a t- Taylor Knox board yep. around that time, and I remember it was the fastest board I ever yeah. had ridden, and I was it just had a really one super deep. Yeah, yeah. And I was like. That, that's the one. Yeah, that's, yeah, yeah, yeah. So we were we were checking all these guys' boards out, and and because I was saying to Anna at one stage, it's funny how when all these guys come in to order boards, or, or you know, you speak to other shapers about guys ordering boards, how um, all right, I want this, 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 and then and they they like overthink it, and you and when you tell them that. You've seen so-and-so's boards and so-and-so's boards and whoever's at that era and you're looking at all their boards and you're going, look, just keep them as simple as what these guys are. Yeah, they're single doubles or deep singles, but the outlines are simple, the rails are simple. There's, don't worry about all the channels and all this other stuff. These guys are next level and look at the boards they're riding. It's... They, they just looked like they went and picked it up off a of rack, but they're super light, obviously, and all that. So there wasn't this... I thought there was going to be this massive aura around the boards that these guys are on because you watch... And you know, even to this day, you watch 
that era of surfing and it still cuts it now it's mm. still phenomenal that momentum generation of surfers and then when you look at the boards yeah they sort of had that flip but this was now starting to get away from that and and come back to a bit of a normality that the rockers are starting to lower because back in those 90s no one you know you're riding such thin narrow boards they were a nightmare they were so hard to paddle and catch waves especially with our waves down here compared to you know, up the Goldie and all these other joints that are steeper and all that. So they're starting to sort of come back a little bit flat, a little bit flatter entry rockers and um, the tar rockers were coming down, but they were starting to go a little bit shorter and a little bit wider and a little bit of more normality for the Joe average. So it was quite, um, yeah, it was sort of bizarre looking at these, at some of the boards. Um, the only one that was still probably doing some really out there stuff was probably Morris, you know, with those massive concaves that he was doing and the sharp edges and all that sort of going right up the board, which, you know, good on him. That's what, and then, you know, obviously he had that success with the reverse V and all that. So there were all these different things. But it, it was really, really eye-opening, I suppose, to see how just normal these boards were they weren't anything there wasn't anything you know out of the norm for them if you put if you grab one of them and uh, one that they hadn't used yet and chucked it in the rack with all the other channel islands or particularly even the rusties were beautiful you're looking at like you just think it's just another board in the rack except it's got someone's name on it you know kalani or rob or whoever on it you're like ooh. <laughs> so to me it was like and and a lot of them a lot of crew were saying, oh, these guys are riding such over-rocket boards and this and that, the way they turn. But when you actually got a hold of them, you're like, they're not over-rocket. It's just their technique. It's just how good these guys are. Um, yeah, the foils, they're really foiled out. and you know, Yeah, sure enough, they did have sort of pretty deep single doubles and all that. But when you actually looked at the rockers on them, um, they weren't as over rocket as what a lot of a lot of Joe Average surfers thought they were. Mm. It's just how good they surfed mm. and how refined they are. So they were really responsive, really quickly, finer rails and finer foils and all that sort of thing. And so, to me, it was like, oh, wow, these crew are just that's just a rounded square, like sort of what everybody else is surfing, but it's lighter. So yeah, it's going to be more responsive. Um, the the measurements are pretty similar to what everyone else is riding, so you sort of then go back to your own shaping, and, you, and you, yeah, well, obviously you take bits and pieces of what you've seen from these guys, but you sort of go back and go, well, that's just what we're shaping, that the, you know, what we still do. Um, but anybody could walk into you and say, I just want four, 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 super, you oh, know, and sure. just and have a similar yeah. vibe, right? Yep. Because the other one, oh well, yeah, you can. Um, you know, someone will come in and like, I want a super light board. But then um, if they want them as light as the pros, you're going to go, well, I'm going to have to order you a, a super light blank uh, because 99% of the boards are shaping for Joe Average surface. You know, just around here, they're, they're all good surface and, you know, some are uh, intermediate, but there's some really good surface. So, yeah, do a four and a four and a four for here. Cool. Yep. Well, that feels pretty good. But then when the pro board, when you pick up one of the pros, and you're like, holy shit, this thing's even lighter again. Well, then you've got to go back to your foam densities. So then you go and get in touch with them and go, look, I want one of your gold blanks. And they're like, oh, shit, you know, that's probably only the last six weeks. And I went, well, the guy wants it like Taylor Knox's board. So he wants it super light. All right. So they handball you one of those. You mow it up. You pick the thing up and you're like, do you, pay, bit... do you pay extra for that golden no, blank? No. No, it's just... 
Um, it's it's just it, like yeah. there's so many different densities. Yeah, okay. um, you know, from that pro light right up to you know the towboard ones that are like concrete. Mm-hmm. So you get one of those in, same thing. You might do a four and a four or two fours or a four and a half four, keep the swing weight to the nose lighter. Um, and then you pick that up and you're like, if this actually makes it out of the factory without getting fingerprints in it, it'll be a miracle because it's just so light. And um, so, yeah, crew will pick that up and just go, holy shit, did, what's this glass in? And, you know, you can even go further if you want to get a two-ounce put on there and stuff like that. So there's all these variables you can get to to make them super light like that. But, like, I've told crew that, look, I can do that if you want that. But don't come back in six weeks telling mm. me this thing's falling to pieces and it's got massive dents in it. No, I mean, you're getting a super light board, you've got to know that it's not going to last. It's just going to be good yeah. for a short amount of time. Oh, exactly. And you've got to be able to afford to back that up. <clears throat> yeah, there's always a trade-off like that. Mm. Um, all right, these guys, these sponsor guys on tour, um, that's their livelihood. They've got to have boards like this, and some of them they're probably not paying for, some of them are getting an allowance, um, some are getting paid to ride these boards. So they can go through 100 boards a year. doesn't bother yeah, them. It's fucking crazy. Hey, I've just got to go to the bathroom. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so um, so yeah, Taylor Knox, yep, single deep single concaves, yep. and there's not um 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 if I'm trying to sum this bit up, there's not a demystification in the pro board. It's really they're light, they're light, refined, refined, and those guys are just that good, you know. It's like you're still going to grab a tennis racket off the wall and go and have a hit of tennis. Then Roger Federer go grab that same racket off the wall and wipe the floor with you. Yeah. They're that good. Yeah, That's yeah. just how good these people are. It's a good analogy. Yeah. Yeah. And so um, so there's no, you know, I can't sprinkle pixie dust and rainbow dust into the boards to make them, you know, sorry, look, I'll do you a copy of Mick Fanning's ball, but you ain't going to surf like him. I can't add that bit. You're going to have to work that out for yourself. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it's just how talented these people are and how they're, everything's correct, their technique, their mindset, they're ruthless. That's you know, Look at Kelly, you know, um, and look at how he surfs at 51 or whatever. Incredible, isn't they're it? They're just that good. So for them, their boards have to work. And I, and I can remember... Um, it was one of the Hopgoods, I think, saying about his boards. He, he tested all these different boards. Sort of when the epoxy thing was starting to come back and they, he was testing a couple of epoxy boards, a couple of PU boards, and he just went, look, this is my livelihood. I have to have boards that work from one foot to six foot. And at the time, he's going, oh, my PU boards work in everything. He has those epoxy ones. They, the, at the time, in one to two foot trestles, glassy, great. But it goes on to all their shit house, or when it gets bigger, they're no good. Whereas my rusty over there, that PU one that I surf in everything, I know I can paddle out two foot trestles, work. I can take it over to six foot bells, it works. And I can, um, wherever else, go to the Goldie and it works. That's my livelihood. That's what I get paid to do. So if my stuff doesn't work, I'm in trouble. Yeah. And I thought, yep, fair call. He wants something that, and why they're all so simple is because, and they're reliable, they work. Um, they work in everything, and they need that. They can't be like 
stressing out about, oh, I don't know about these boards, I don't know about this. Um, they need something that for every surf they go out in, and you look at every surfer. Look at Steph last year when I was that. Shit, this is a board that's made me tons of money. Surfed it in everything. Ripped. Favourite board. They what what, what was them. that board? It's a DHD. I think it was a rounded pin, actually. Yeah, yeah. okay. Yeah. She ripped on it. And um, they've all got those. Ma- you know, look at when Kelly was winning everything. And he had a Simon. And, and even cr- badly creased it or snapped and got it fixed again. And then went out and won J-Bay. Only has best, one of the best boards I've ever had. And then snapped it again. And went, wow, well, it's done there. Um, so some of them... Just have, you know, they all have this particular board, but when you actually go and look at those particular boards, even like Oki's 80s boards, you looked at his rounded square, um, Rusty's. They were just so simple. And, well, that's got to be, because that's what he's going to go and win on, and he's going to win in everything. You know, look at him at when he won the skins on a six-channel rounded pin Dahlberg. It was six foot and blowing its ring off one day, and it was a bit small and clean, and he was just cleaning up. Ching, ching. Um, one of his favourite boards, and I think he, I think he went on to win some other stuff on that board. Um, and yeah, that was a bit different because it was a challenge on it. But when you looked at everybody else's boards, you know, I mean, Andy Irons was around, and Cal, all those guys, and even to this very day, you look at some of their boards and you're like, wow, pretty simple boards, eh? Mendinas and Edelos, all those, and they ride various boards in various conditions. Some epoxy, some not. But they're still very simplified boards. It's just these guys are that good mm. that they can surf a door and still rip. So, yeah, that's the unfortunate part. You can't shape into a board. You can make a board <laughs> go good, but, yeah. <laughs> It'd be nice to like the sprinkles and yeah, dust yeah, on yeah, yourself. Yeah, totally right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I know. And this is, yeah, anyway, we won't delve too far into that. But, like, um, I know. I know, more fairy dust over here too, please. (laughs) (laughs) So, Dico, I think I saw you in the car park a while ago and it was your first surf in many months. Yeah. And I I hadn't seen you around for a bit. And uh, and you were... It was incredible to see how frothed you were to be in the ocean. Oh, when... When something happens to you, it happens to you like that, like with my um, when I got diagnosed with my heart problem, um, it doesn't. I suppose it's like with anything, whatever sport or whatever it is that you do, it's like sits you on your ass. And before the diagnosis, um, surfing every day. You know, I'd been on a surf trip. You know, we were down in Tassie and. Or when, I think we'd been up the coast. Done all this. Yeah, it was good. Great. You and Sarah. Yep. Yeah. And then I just started noticing that, you know, I could be having a conversation like this, sitting at home watching TV, shaping a board, and I just started to feel really weird, like someone had given me a fright, like my heart would go 100 miles an hour, um, but not in rhythm. And I'd be sitting there going, what the hell? Um, bizarre. It didn't happen in the surf. For some weird reason, I don't know why it didn't happen in the surf. Was and it a bit, the, an anxious feeling? Yeah, like being anxious, stressed, yeah. anxiety, I suppose. I, it was just, yeah, it'd be like you know, watching, yeah, a feel horror, off a bit, yeah. watching a horror movie or a thriller and just going, oh, <laughs> don't go in the door. And then someone goes, boo, and you've, you've hit the roof. <laughs> so, I and I was just like this... This is weird. And then I was riding a fair bit too, keeping pretty fit. And 
I was noticing I wear a heart monitor when I ride. No, I was noticing that even when I was getting off the bike, I was watching my heart rate go back down to normal. But I was sort of thinking, geez, it, a couple of times it got really high, and then there were certain places I was riding that I was struggling. Just up slide hills and that, and sort of get out of breath and couldn't get my breath. Going, well, I don't know what's going on here. This is bizarre. So then I thought, all right, I'll put the bike away for a while, just surf, do whatever I'm doing. And um, when we're in Tassie, and I noticed a couple of sorry before we went to Tassie, I noticed a couple of times at the kiosk, talking to the boys in the morning having a coffee, and I'd start to get lightheaded and sort of breathless, and I'm thinking, shit, I haven't had any brekkie, having a mug of coffee. Maybe it's that because I'm like, whoa, I'm not feeling this is weird. Mm. Then when we were in Tassie, surfed, good, went up to the Bay of Fires, surfed up there, and then we did some rock hopping. And uh, a couple of times, it wasn't very high. It wasn't as if we were climbing a mountain or anything, just rocking, you know, walking over the rocks like you do down here at low tide. And I was getting out of breath, and I mean really out of breath. I was like going to Sarah, like, geez, I'm, I'm knackered. I'm really breathless. I don't know what's going on. And um, I was pretty fit at the time. Just going, oh, I'm going to, this is weird. And when we came back, I surfed Bells that weekend. And I was fine on the, I think it was the Saturday Arvo or whatever. And then the Sunday I paddled out. No, sorry, Sunday. I mean, in the Monday I paddled out at Bells. I got out to the bowl and I didn't feel right. I was like, geez, it's like I'd just run a marathon. I had no energy. My arms felt like lead. It was bizarre. And I'm sitting in the bowl. I'd caught a wave. And, and, and I can remember when I was paddling back, I'm thinking, oh, I'm not going to get out. I, I can't paddle. So I turned around, went straight in. And when I and I barely got to the top of the stairs. I was struggling. I was just, God, this is nuts. I've just got no energy. I feel really bad. So I got home, rang my doc, said, look, um, I've got to get in there. Something's going on. I think it's my heart and all that. And yep, yep, get in here. Come in this afternoon. So I got in there. And Pete's put the stethoscope on. And I could tell by the look on his face. I was like, Pete, do not play poker. You have got a shit house poker face. <laughs> I can see there's something going on here. And he's like, and um, he goes, yeah, that's not good. That doesn't sound right. There's something going on here. I'm sending you straight to a cardiologist. So two days later, I go into the cardiologist. Two days seems like a bit of a wait. Um, yeah, well, I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> I suppose it's okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, well, it must be. No, actually, sorry. Yeah, I went and got an ECG, and they, I got a phone call from the nurse here on the Friday. So that was Monday, so that was Friday. She said, well, look, you've got to get in touch with Pete on Monday. He's got your results back. Don't panic, but you've got to get in touch with Pete. So I'm like, so don't panic. But I have to get in touch yeah, with my doctor. Yeah. It's imperative. I'm like, okay, I won't panic then. <laughs> but I will call him. <laughs> yeah, I'll call him. Sorry, Monday, he goes, look, I've, I've booked you in to a cardiologist. Your, your ECG's come back and you've got a leaking valve. I'm like, okay. All righty then. He goes, yep, no, he'll, he'll tell you more and, and what's going on. So I went in. A couple of days later, go in. He goes, right, this is the deal. There's your ECG, there's your results. Yep, you've got a, your aortic valve isn't closing properly. It's leaking a lot of blood back in your heart. In fact, your left ventricle of your heart is actually really big. So you're probably going to have a bigger heart anyway because you surf and ride and you, you know, you've been active all your life. But this is 
at the point of you're not to surf, ride, nothing, just go to work, that's it. You're not to do anything. And I'm just like sitting there going, holy shit. Then he draws a little diagram. He goes, right, there's your harp. There's your aorta. We're going to take this bit off the end or we're going to fold that back and then we're going to put this um, little valve on there, little mechanical valve. I was like, wow, here we go. I'm going to get split from neck to navel. Fuck. All that. And he's like, yep, look. Um, so, yeah, you're not to do anything. Oh, could I ride my nine-footer in one for waves? He goes, no, 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 no. Nothing. And then you're just sort of like, ah, shit. And then, and he goes, you're not to do anything until this is done. And so then you're sitting there and, and and with way the COVID was, we were sort of coming out of it. But you know how there was just massive waiting lists and it's hard to get into a hospital and um, elective surgery was banned still and all this sort of stuff. And I'm just sitting there freaking out going, oh, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? And Anyway, it's like, all right, you know what? Um, all right, look, let's just go. We've got work to do. Let's just go and get the work done, do what we've got to do, and then we'll slowly wind it down until I get the op. So the, I, I had to go in. For, they then sent me to Ballarat for an angiogram. I had that because they said, look, while we're in there, we might as well do the, check the rest of your heart because if anything else needs to be done. And I'm like, now I'm freaking out even more. But I came out of the angiogram. My um, cardiologist was standing there right next to me. He goes, look, we've just, you're fine. Yeah, the rest of your heart's in, for your age, is in good nick, so you're, you're good. You've got one other artery that's got about a 30% scaling, but most crew your age, it's 70. So you've looked after yourself, so that's good. And when, by, after we do this, the left side of your heart will go back to normal. It'll ride itself, and then off you go. So, All right, cool. Thanks for that. No worries. So then it was another couple of weeks of... Then he put me on medication for blood pressure just to keep it low, just so it didn't go mad again. And it still would do it every now and again. But um, then I had to... Then, um, yeah, it was a couple of weeks to go at the time. Yeah, I got the call up and then they said, all right, over the next two weeks, you've got to go and get a chest X-ray and I think it was a CT scan, something like that. Yeah, anyway, I had to go. I mean, that big round thing goes over you and, and they give you inject this stuff and they you know you feel like you're gonna mm. wet yourself and it's just a metal taste all that did all the tests everything's coming back good all right week before got to go into Geelong hospital you've got a you're going to meet your anesthetist uh the surgeons um oh yeah they met my surgeon um and the surgeon's assistant they're going to go through the procedure of what's going to happen post-op pre-op all all that stuff because then my surgeon said to me Oh, yeah, he said, take your shirt off, get through your chest. Yep, cool. We'll just go in through the top of your chest. And I was like, really? He goes, yeah, big surface chest. You know, you go, okay, you're the boss. Um, and then when I went in, I met the anaesthetist and um, a Scottish chick. She was a sweetheart. Because I said, if I wake, uh, when I wake up and you're standing at the end of the bed, I'll be a happy man. <laughs> but I'd better wake up. <laughs> So, and it was funny. She's doing all, you know, stuff on the computer. She's going, you basically don't exist. And I'm like, what? What's going on? She's going, well, we've got all your details. She said, I've been to every database in every hospital in, in this country and you've, you don't exist on any of them. And I said, well, I've never been in the hospital. She's like, 
Really? I went four. I was four years old, got my tonsils out. I've never been in hospital since. She's like, shit, that's pretty good. I said, well, you don't get put on the planet to go into hospital. It's only in case of emergency. So I've tried to avoid them. So all good. Got all my details. Then the surgeon came in. He put my scans and everything up on the computer screen. Like, even that's freaky. He goes, see that? That's your heart. You can see That's your aorta. We're going to go up through here and we're going to put this thing on. And then he gave me the valve. I got this little valve in my hand. It's like the size. This one was about the size of, say, a 20 cent piece. But he said, look, we have all different sizes for, you know, different aortas and all that sort of stuff. And I was just looking at it. This thing's pretty cool. It's like carbon fiber, all this shit going on. He goes, yeah, we'll slide that on there, sew it all on there, and then it'll all just do its own thing. And I was like, wow, this is freaky shit. So I did that, and then um, and then he said, yeah, your aorta's in a really good spot. And I'm like, I thought an aorta and a heart's a heart. It's where you, and he goes, no, they're all over the joint. He goes, that could be anywhere. And I'm like, wow, I never knew that. He goes, oh, they're in here, down there, up there. Like, Shit, that's freaky. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, um, grand final weekend. I get the uh, phone goes off. There's the email. Right, you got to be in here Sunday, 4 o'clock for... Uh, for prep so off we go Sunday Arno in get my room and then you know you got to get shaved because I had to shave all my beard and goatee and everything off and shave everything off it was actually funny because um, they shaved half my pubes off for when I went for the angiogram because they if they can't find um, your artery in your arm which they did they go through your groin so I'm before we go to the hospital I'm sort of going to the toilet looking down going I've got this fully half shaved bush going bugger it so I shave the rest <laughs> off and then the chick nurse goes right oh, come in to shave you go in get undressed put your gown on got to shave you down so um, I come back out and she undoes everything and she's sort of looking at me because I've got no hair on my chest I've got no hair anywhere you know, I've very rarely even got hair on my arms and she's like uh, what's going on here I mean I'm um, Hair on my head, face, that's it. I'm not very hairy. She's like, do you wax? I went, no. <laughs> what do you, I don't do anything. And Sarah's like, nah, you don't do anything. I said, oh, by the way, I shaved that for you because they'd done half of it. And I thought you might think I was a freak coming in with half pubes. So I got rid of the rest. She's just cracking up. So anyway, she said, look, I got, shaves me all down, preps me all. And then she said, yep, all right, you're all ready to rock and roll. We're going to take you in your room and 6 o'clock in the morning we're going to wake you up. 7 o'clock in the morning, you're under the knife. And by this stage, I was actually really cool about it. When I first got the diagnosis and leading up to it, I was shitting, just going, Jesus, what's going to happen? Oh, yeah, you know, this yeah. is... What I said to my surgeon, what have I done? I don't... I've had a good diet. I don't eat sure. I don't. Have, I've never had salt. I, I, I exercise. He said it's just luck of the draw, mate. He goes, we get one-year-old babies in here that we do it, and we get ninety-year-olds in here that we do it. So okay, okay. But by the time that final week came up and that weekend to go in, I was actually frothing to get it done. I was just like, come on, let's do this. I just want to get this yeah, done. Yeah, get through it. Yeah. So, yeah, Monday morning comes around, the nurse comes in, she goes, right, eh, you ready to rock and roll? Yep, cool. Take these two tablets. And I'm looking at her going, all right, what's going on here? She's going, look, they just calm you down. I think they're Valium or something. So I took those, wheel me in. I'm just laying there. They put me on the operating table. I'm like, hey, guys, how you going? And, yep, all good, you're right, yeah, yep. 
that's it. Don't remember shit after that. Gone. I remember waking up and I'm laying in post-op and I wake up and I look down and I've got hoses coming out of my chest, out of my groin. I've got a pacemaker on top of my chest here and I'm like, holy shit, it's done. Wow. And then at the end of the bed, there's two surgeons and they sort of turned around and they're looking at me like, you all right? I mean, yeah. And then one of the surgeons gone, you're not supposed to be awake for about another three quarters of an hour. I was sitting there looking at her going, I'm not going back to sleep. I'm awake and I'm bloody staying awake now. You can get, get bent. I'm up. So he was laughing, just going, yep, look, it's all cool. You're right. You'll be fine. You know, how do you feel? Do you sore? I went, no, no, I feel pretty good, actually. So for the next week in – I had a week in hospital – I ended up staying a little bit longer because I had a massive, massive moment that I thought, this is it, it's done, I'm finished, I'm checking out. That was on the Thursday. I um, was... They'd just taken the tubes out of my chest. I had drainage tubes yeah. in um, under my right boob, I suppose. Um, one going into my lung cavity and one into my heart cavity and that was to drain shit out from the operation all that and they emptied that and they just you're awake and they just go this is going to feel weird take a deep breath take a deep breath and they just pull these things out and you're just like oh that's weird so then i had to get up and go for a walk around the ward do a couple of laps of the ward with your little simmer frame and you're dripping all that and then um i sat back down in a seat and they're about to serve lunch and a nurse comes in and she said look i've got to put you on a magnesium drip which i'd had a couple of days before she said you're a bit low on your magnesium which is really important on your heart and your heart health for your heart rhythm and all that and it stings it's it's like bees it's like dogs with bees in their mouths <laughs> it stings like a bastard oh and it's from the inside that so the first one they put on for two hours and I said, yeah, I can feel it and it's manageable. It'll be cool. This one, she puts the thing in, walks out and I'm like, oh, this thing immediately is stinging. Like I'm being stung from the inside out. Press the buzzer. She comes back. She said, oh, uh, I've only gone on for an hour. And I'm like, no, I, I can't do it. That's, that is excruciating. So she starts adjusting it and while she's adjusting it, I'm sitting there sort of going, thinking to myself i'm not feeling really good and then she the nurse turned around and went yeah look good and i was starting to sweat and then all of a sudden my heart rate went up and then alarms started going off and i'm like sitting in the chair thinking oh no this isn't good and then the nurses looked up and my heart rate's gone my resting heart rate was around 45 50 has gone up to 174 holy shit but out of whack so it's just going, it's going, 174, 160, 174, 150, 174, 120, 170. So it's going oh mad. Oh, my God. And I'm starting to, like, what I, I was probably going to faint because I started getting really lightheaded. And I'm like, oh, and she's like, quick, get back in the bed, get back in the bed. Get back in the bed, inject some shit in me. There's a couple of glasses of water there, drink those. This crew running everywhere. There's alarms going off, and I'm just like, "Oh no, I'm done. It's done. It's all over." <laughs> so, 
After about 15 minutes, it starts to settle down. It's still pretty high, but it had dropped down probably like 130, and then it'd go down to 100, 130, 120. So it was starting to slowly drop. So they took me into my own room right next to the nurse's headquarters to say, look, we're putting you in here because that was, that was intense. We need to keep an eye on you. Okay, all right, no worries. So later on that afternoon, I went in and, and now I have my own like shower and toilets and that. So I went in, had a quick tub and all that sort of stuff. Come back, they gave me a little waterproof heart monitor all hooked up. And um, the nurse comes in, she goes, yeah, just come in to check up on you. It's the end of my shift, but I just want to see how you're going. Because I was like, look, thanks for your help. You guys have been unreal. She goes, you know what it was, don't you? I went, no. Nah. She said, what'd you have for breakfast? I said, oh... Some muesli and a, and I think it was an orange juice. She said, yeah, but I noticed you're you've been drinking like two, three, four jugs of water a day because you drink all this water and then you got to, you know, you have a slash in one of those containers and then they actually go and measure it. They wait and go, yep, cool, good. You're doing, you're urinating, so you're drinking heaps. It's just good. She said, I noticed your water bottles were full and you hadn't had a drink. I said, oh shit, I didn't. So I haven't had a drink of water all night. She said, you're dehydrated. She said, you can't, you cannot afford to do that at this stage. It, it, it'll just, you know what happens? And I'm like, so after that, <laughs> I was going to the toilet more times at night than I was sleeping. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So now I keep, even to this day, I just hydrate, 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 hydrate. So that was a massive scare. And then my um, surgeon came in the next day doing his rounds and he's checking me all out. And he goes, yeah, look, I've read the report. You know, same thing. But we're going to keep you in here an extra couple of days. We just want to make sure everything goes back to normal. You will have episodes probably for the first week when you get home because, you know, we've opened you up. We've had out, we've stopped your heart. You know, you've done all this. And Jesus. So it's going to be grumpy because I'm just sitting there like, shit, shit, shit. And um, so, yeah, when, when I finally got let out, um, I had a, a week of being at home with home hospital. So they come around every morning, take blood, do my blood pressure, and then they'd ring me up in the afternoon to say, right, you now have to take warfarin, which is my blood tennis, which I'm on for the rest of my life. So you've got to take this amount. So I'd pop that amount. That went on for a week. Then they said, look, we have handballed all this to your doctor. You'll now probably go and see your doctor and the nurse once a week. They'll prick your finger. They'll take a reading and then uh, and you'll um, be ta- and uh, you'll just work out how much warfarin you have to take. So when I left hospital, I had a massive bag of just drugs. It was like I could open up a pharmacy. Um, so after that, it's just going to um, yeah, going to the doctor, getting checks. That's all good. And then you start off. They give you all this massive amount of information. It's it's fantastic, all the stuff they give you. And they said to me, look, we're handballing it. You're going well. In two weeks, you'll get a call from the cardio um, rehab, John Free Ground, and you're going to start doing that for eight weeks. And I was like, yeah, okay, cool. But in the meantime, do what that manual says. So for the first week, go for a 10-minute walk. That's it. Just do a 10-minute walk every day, every day. I got to the end of the week. Fuck, I'm hopeless. Oh, went for a 10-minute walk. Sarah's at uh, Bells Beach Surf Shop working, so I've walked. I thought, feel pretty good. So I walked down to um, Gilbert Street, bump into Midzy. 
and um, we had to reorganise it. I was because I wasn't allowed to be at home by myself. I had to be under twenty four seven supervision. I even had to be in my own room. wasn't allowed. No one's allowed to be near me. I just I had to be by myself. wasn't allowed to drive for four weeks. There's all these things because if an airbag goes off, it'll probably kill you. Someone rolls over in bed and whacks you with an arm, which can happen. You're in trouble. And Midgey said, you coming around tomorrow for Bathurst. I'll come and get you and I'll bring you home. So I was at someone's house um, so he could keep an eye on me all day. Yep, no worries. So they left. I'm in Gilbert Street and I thought, gee, it's not that far to the kiosk. Ah, oh, I walked to the kiosk. <laughs> I get down to the kiosk, walk into the back of the kiosk and, oh, dicko, what are you? And they're like, how you going? Oh, great. And then they're like, you don't look good. You're grey. And I was like, yeah, I'm not feeling flush. Sit down. Yep, cool. Kind of a big bottle of water. Drank a big bottle of water. How'd you get here? Walked. And they're like, you walked. You walked from Beach Road. I went, yeah, I've walked a bit too far. So one of the boys was out the front goes, nah, I'll take you home. You're not, you're going to have to get home. So they took me home, drank a heap of water, and um, then started to, get my colour back and start to feel better again. I just overdone it, you know, like, shit, I've only been out of the hospital a week. Dicker. So then it was the next week's 15-minute walks, then 20-minute walks. Then I started cardio rehab, and they are fantastic in there. They are so good. So, oh, jeez, I can't. Is it Lewis, Lewis Drumer? Red Hot Little Surfer around here? Oh, yeah, um, Ian Drumer's son. Yeah, well, it was his mum, his wife's, was my physio. So I've walked in. Willis Drummer. Willis, that's yeah. it, Willis Drummer. So I've walked in and she's gone, yep, look, I know who you are. It's all good. I know you surf, make boards, blah, blah, blah. So I've designed a program for you to get you back in the water. So we're going to, we've got to get the strength back in your arms. And because they've gone in through the top of your chest, gone through the muscle and everything and that, you're going to, because even just to put my hand out like that, and grab, put my arm out and grab a cup of tea. The first time I did it, I, it no, nah, yeah, it could have yeah, been a yeah, paper cup. I yeah. couldn't lift it. I was like, oh. So over a one day a week, two hours every Monday. So you do an hour of cardio. So you're, you're using light weights, um, elastics, um, going for a walk around, getting on a prone bike. You're doing all this stuff to get your fitness back up. So I was doing that and then a couple of days a week at home as well, getting on a bike, got elastics, and so I was trying to get myself fit. And um, so that was all good. Uh, and then, like, the last couple of weeks, they did an assessment and said, look, you're, you're flying, you're going really well. You could probably start swimming. And I said, well, if I can swim, why can't I take my nine-foot longboard for a paddle out to fishos where there's no waves? And they're like, yeah, that's a good idea. So I just started going down there and, going out to the Orange Boy and then a couple of laps, then a couple of laps, then down to Fisho's and just started going longer and longer every day. I was getting fitter and fitter, so my paddling fitness was getting really good. And then um, then when I came to the last session, um, you know, they get you go, right, this is your last session. We've got all this stuff that you've got to do and tick the boxes and then go for your life. So I did everything they did and... So you do something really hard and then sit down and then you had to go through the recovery. See how your heart was recovering. It was recovering really well. Wasn't getting super high when I was doing the ride or the walk or some of the weights and all this other stuff. So 
um, ticked all the boxes for that. And then they said, look, um, you're going really well. You could probably just go easy, but you could probably start surfing. And that was just like, uh-oh, here we go. And I didn't start, I think it was another week or so, but before I saw you and that, or whatever it was. But I went for another paddle out of Torquay Point. Super clean, beautiful night. Um, two foot, maybe on one. There's only two or three people out there. But I thought, no, I'm going to paddle from, I'm going to paddle out of the creek, paddle right down to Point Danger, and then I'm going to paddle back. Um, that'll be a good paddle just to see how I'm going. So I'm on paddle back. I, I, I saw a set go through Torquay Point. I was just like, oh, yeah, should I? So I paddled out there, and a couple of guys out there I know going, Oh, shit, we heard what happened. Oh, you're back in the water. I went, yeah, I'm back. I am probably shouldn't be here. I'm supposed to be just paddling, but I reckon I might be able to catch away. So um, so I'm just sitting there minding my own business away, paddled over a couple, sort of, oh, geez. Yeah, all right, let's do this. I turned around, caught a wave, and I actually, because the tide was sort of mid-tide or something, but I went left because it was breaking in close. So I went left and rode it to the... Um, creek got out, did a little dance, just doing a little jig on the beach, just going, Wow, I got to my feet, just surfed, just felt good. Got home, Sarah's looking at me, going, What are you up to? You're pretty happy with yourself. And I told her what happened. She's like, How do you feel? I went, Yeah, good. How's your chest feeling? Yeah, yeah, pretty good, pretty good. So, sort of left it. And then, yeah, one night, Bells, we um, get down to Bells. I don't think there was anybody out. It's only small. And then uh, oh, then Carl and Pete, Carl Mooney and Pete with the wire went out. So I went out and they're like, oh, you're back, you're back. I went, yeah, this is going to be my first proper surf. So um, I got three waves straight off all the way, just like, oh, this. I was like a 12-year-old, 15, no, five-year-old. Yeah, I was like that. I said to someone, it was like, can you remember when you caught your first wave, green-faced, going along that wave? Can you remember that and the feeling of that that was like, this is what I have to do for the rest of my life? That feeling of like, oh, I'm not in the white water anymore. Just, that's how I felt. And they kept an eye on me when I was surfing just to make sure I didn't you know, fall, do something, and get back out the back. And they were just like... Just slow down. I was just gibbering, just losing it. And then I, I was just going off. <laughs> Not like me. No. <laughs> I couldn't even get a word in with myself. <laughs> so I then went to catch another wave and couldn't. My arms then just went, enough's enough. And that was the hardest part over the next X amount of months was it, my paddling out to bells and, and, and paddling long distance, just paddling, was fine. It was that power mm. to catch waves. Um, that was the hardest one to get back. That's the one that's taken the longest to get back. Um, from going out on some of the days and only being able to catch a couple of waves and even on my bigger boards and then missing waves, thinking... And even the boys are like, geez, you never miss waves like that. And I said, look, I've just my arms have just run out of oomph now. I'm still building up. Whereas now I can go out and I'm probably 90%. I can catch nearly all the waves. Now it's more mental because I had a checkup 
six or seven weeks ago with my cardiologist, and he said, look, we've done, you've done the ECG, your heart's working really efficiently now if you want to go back. If you want to start surfing stuff that's bigger than what you have, you know, three, four, if you want to start surfing six-foot waves, you go for it. If you want to get back on your bike, go for it. But go easy, work your way into it. And I remember the first day at Bells, it was like four to six foot, and I took an eight-footer out, thought, all right, take a bigger board out. And I got three waves and went in. But even, when I, even with those three waves that I caught, there was a few that I pulled back on that the guys were like, you had that, you were into that. And I was like, yeah, but I was looking over it just looking down because really um, with some of the bigger days, I'll probably start wearing a helmet because I've got to be careful if I get hit by a board, particularly in the head, because I'm on blood thinners now, I could bleed out. So I've got to be really careful. So there's been even on the three-foot days, there was days I'd paddle, catch it, and then go, well, nah. And you, and it's just that mental thing of once you – and then once I caught one – and it was a well, well, well overhead wave. Caught that, made it through the bowl, paddled back out. I was like, wait a minute, that wasn't so bad because it was really clean and I was gliding in on. Then I got the next two and then just went, no, go in. Just go in, don't chance it. So that felt good. Um, so it's that's been the next step is getting over that mental hurdle of going, all right, if I take off really late on this thing and something happens... You just, you're going to have to be like – so that's in the back of your mind. Just be really careful or even on some of the days. Well, I think that's good. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. You know, like because I think it's your subconscious or your conscious deep protecting you, mm. you know. Oh, definitely. You go just, easy, dear yeah. you know, Just even, easy back into it. Yeah, because even on – you know, how many people do you see get injured on small days? Just uh, puffing around you, and going, oh, shit, boom. Oh, jeez, I cut my arm off. Um <laughs> So, no, but totally. Like, it's just, yeah, you can't yeah. predict the unpredictable, and there's a yeah. lot of unpredictables. And particularly these days, and even over the last couple of years, we've been doing a lot more traveling because we've got the van. So, we've been traveling down the coast more or Phillip Island. We're getting away from a lot of the crowds, but particularly now, when I pull up at Bells sometimes and just see a lot of crew out there, I know I can sort of, I can still go out to Rinka and I'll probably catch my waves. But I've got to be even more vigilant with the crowds that are out there and who's out there, who's throwing boards, mm. who's going over the falls, where they're sitting, where am I going to be surfing? Because I could be just surfing along and all of a sudden someone, you know, paddling out, panics, throws a board. And if you're not ready for it and you wear that, you're in all. And even if I get a hell cut, that it'll just bleed. So mm. I hit the deck at Torquay Point about four weeks ago and well, I don't know if you I sort of cheese grated my arm. Um, I was trying to go through the point from haystacks and there was just enough water over that reef bit in there, except I hit a boil and went down. Luckily, I put my arm out, but I hit it and I had a short sleeve wedding on. And that I went back out going, oh, that's not too bad. It hurts a bit, but it's all good. But an hour later, it's still bleeding. So I went, look, I'm out of here. Who knows what's swimming around, but I'm out of here. <laughs> I go get, so, yeah, we benched it all up and it was all good. But, you, you know, I... I um, you know, with a couple of the boards that I've surfed out there, you know, eight-foot twin fin with big keels in it, and I look at those things and they're as sharp as I think, and she's, if I go down the mine here and land on that, I'm in fucking big trouble. Mm-hmm. And now I've even, you know, I travel in my van or in Sarah's van with a mate got me this, like, hell first aid kit. And he's like, look, I got you this. Leave it in your van. When you run down the stairs to hide your keys somewhere... <laughs> um, put your first aid kit there because if 
something happens in the world and we're all out there and you're lucid, you can say there's a first aid kit under the stairs. Get it, get it, get yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then that's actually got a card in it to say that I'm on blood thinners. I've got one in my wallet to say that it's on blood thinners and I'm going to get myself another bangle with that engraved in it to say I'm on warfarin, blah, 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 be careful because, you know, it's shit they need to know. So there's all these little things now that you, you know, I'm, I'm just like stoked that, I, I was sort of diligent enough and, and knew enough about my body to go, something's wrong. Mm. It's been fixed. I've got another go at it. And so, you know, I'm still – I'm back at work doing – yeah, I still do me a couple of days a week at IGA. I'm fine with that. Um, I've got some board orders. Sweet. Um, and it's not, you know, if I haven't got 50 orders sitting on my clipboard now, I'm stoked. It's like, nah, oh, no, nah, I don't need that. I've got X amount of orders. They're all, you know, mostly crew I know. They're like, oh, you're back shaping. Great. We want to come and get aboard. So I'm really stoked with that and just want to do, you know, a couple a week um, and just enjoy, you know, could, I don't know, it might be 10, 5, 10, another 20 years, I hope, with this. Um, so yeah, because I know that the surgeon said to me, "You're not getting a pig's heart. You're too young. A uh, pig's valve. You're too young. We'll put a mechanical one in." Because I know Jeff Horrock got a pig's valve put in, and he's had to have that replaced uh, already. We've spoken about it because with his same operation, same thing. But they had to open him right up, and um, he was saying, "Yeah, no, don't get a pig's one." And I said, "No, they won't let me. They they won't do it." You, you, you got to have a mechanical one when you're this age. They only keep the pigs ones for 90-year-olds and stuff like that because they're figuring 10 years out of that, still good effort. Um, so to have someone – and then to even have – I didn't even ask for that surgeon, didn't pick the surgeon, but to have, like, one of the best surgeons on the planet walk in and go, yep, I'm going to go through here. This is what we're going to do. I'll have you back in the water before Christmas. And when you're laying in the hospital bed with shit hanging off you everywhere and he's saying that, you're like, yeah, right. But then I was. And I'm like, wow, and how good. I can't, like, you cannot thank, like Geelong Hospital is one of the best hospitals on the planet. Not in Australia, on the planet for heart surgeons. They are renowned. They're, They're unbelievable. But it's not just the surgeons. It's all the staff in there, the nurses, uh, everyone cannot do enough for you. Yeah, all right, you don't. You go in there for your operations. You're not going to get any rest. You, you're up all night because there's things buzzing and alarms going off. And then, oh, sorry, Dico, we've got to wake you up. We've got to take some blood. You've got to take these tablets. We've got to put this drip on. Um, so you're not getting a lot of rest, but they're looking after you and they're doing such a epic job. They're so good. Um, even the <laughs> Even the cleaning lady one day walks in and I'm laying there. And this was after I had my episodes. So I'm sort of laying there just like, oh, shit, you know. She walks in. She's like, would you like a cup of tea, love? And I was like, yeah, actually I would. She goes, all right, I'll get you a cup of tea. And then she comes back in, cup of tea, and then a couple of packets of Bicky. She's going, oh, I grabbed you a couple of packets of biscuits too. <laughs> and I sort of looked down there and... Yeah, I don't eat sugar, but you know, I don't give a shit. So I opened her and dipped them and wolfed them. Going, thank you. Okay, love. I'll just go and do that. If you need anything, just let me know. Oh, what a legend. And I'm like, it's the cleaning lady. She came in to do the toilets in the bathroom, the shower, and here she is looking after me. And they, they're all like that. Even the night staff will come in and look, 
we gave you an extra hour and we know you've been trouble sleeping so we thought we'd let you go but we really have to wake you because you've got to take all this stuff and you're like yeah i get it i get it and and the, and what in the last two nights i'm in one of the the chick that, the nurse that was looking after me um uh, I knew from she surfs from Ocean Grove, and then she knew a bunch of crew I knew, and then she knew Sarah. So we're talking surfboards and all this. But anyway, she came in one night, tablets, blood, this, and she goes, "Oh, by the way, we came in before and you were asleep, and we could hear your heart ticking." I'm like, "What?" She goes, "Yeah, we could hear your valve ticking." Well, I'm like, oh. Oh, "Okay," I didn't hear anything because shit, this is going off and all this stuff. So anyway, first night at home, get home, all right. Your, your, your room's set up for you in there. That's where you'll be. Light turns off. I lay down, and all I can hear is tick, tick. Stop and I'm it. like, shit, that's my valve ticking. I'm like, you can't be serious. So I'm laying there with eyes like possums going, I can't sleep. I can't sleep with this. So I actually had to get my phone and put some music on to put a bit of white noise there. Yeah. Until I fell asleep, because it just didn't matter what I did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that went on for about a week, and whereas now I don't hear it anymore. And I I think when I lay on my left side, I hear it a little bit more, but other other ways I don't. And now it's just sleep. And then occasionally, a couple of times we've been in the van down the coast, staying in the vans. There would be like, I can hear our ticking. (laughs) There's nothing I can do about it. (laughs) Sorry, I know. Can you roll over that way? <laughs> okay. So I roll over on my right side. Is that better? Yeah, that's better. <laughs> Is it ticking that loud? She's like, yeah, well, I can hear it. Tick, tick. I said, well, it's a good thing. That's good. Well, it's yeah, it's still ticking. <laughs> so for me, and even when I was in hospital and I put, the, um, I put a post on Facebook to say, hey, guys, you know, I had a mate at Bells, Diet Bells, and you know, from a hard thing, and then another guy at Centers, and and to me, it's like, all right, you know, it doesn't matter how fit we are and, and what diets we're on. This is still going to happen. This can still happen. This is just what happens at our age now. I'm sixty in like three weeks, and it, you, I put a post up to say, look, don't think that this just could be stress, anxiety. Yada yada yada. There should, there could be something insidious going on that you just think stress, nerves. This, go and get it checked. Just go to your doctor. He'll put the stethoscope on there. He'll know straight away because you can. I, they, the nurses at um, Ballarat Hospital said, "Do you want to have a listen to your heart?" Yeah, hell yeah. What's going on? They go, "Well, this is how your heart should sound." Boom 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 boom. Yours sounds like this. Like a bloody Nissan Skyline changing gears and the turbo thing. I was like, really? Puts the stethoscope on. I listened to it and I was just like, holy shit, it is too. It's exactly that. She said, that's your valve not closing. That's the blood going the other way. It's freaky. So for me to put the word out to, to... it doesn't matter what age with the surfers, not even surfers, just anybody to say, hey, look, don't think you're sitting there one night watching TV and you start feeling nervous and it starts happening all the time or you're having a conversation and it feels like you've got anxiety or stress. It may not be. It could be something worse. 
And then you might walk down the stairs at Bells when they hit the cold water, and that's the other reason why I wasn't allowed to surf. Cold water, heart rate goes up. Hmm. It's got to get blood to the extremities. Bang. And you'll, you'll either have it, you'll black out, pass out, lose breath, die, whatever, and it could have been that it was just a leaking valve. So don't hesitate. Don't think you're a He-Man and a legend of this, that, and the other. Oh, I've been surfing for 60 years. I'm as fit as a bloody Malibu. Nah, there's shit going on. We are getting older. Um, and this just doesn't happen to older guys. This can happen to younger crew too. So just make sure you go and get checked. Um, because, you know, like um, there's a heap, you hear of heaps of crew around the world that have had turns or, or various other things in the water or out of, getting out of the water and it ends up being some sort of heart problem and all that. So... It doesn't necessarily mean that's the end of your surfing. And I also stress that when you do, if you do have something wrong and they can fix it, whether it's bypass surgery, um, a valve like mine, uh, yeah, you're, you're going to be on tablets for the rest of your life or even um, heart pressure tablets and all that. Don't worry about it. That's what's keeping you going. But also don't think that you're not... Yeah, you may be laying there in a hospital with shit all over you thinking that you're not going to get back in the water. Do as they say. Do the rehab. I know there's crew out there that doesn't matter what injuries they get. Rehab, I don't need to do mm. rehab. I'm bulletproof. I'll be fine. Give it a couple of weeks. Yep, and then it, does, it goes again or it's not working properly. And I know this is a heart rehab, so it's different to muscular stuff, but it's, it's a big muscle anyway. Do what they say. Be diligent and do it. And if you can do stuff at home, do stuff at home. Do it because in the long run, you'll feel better. Um, your heart will start slowly working like mine more efficiently and start doing what it's supposed to do. And then all of a sudden, you're back in the water. You, you, you might not surf 10-foot waves or 12-foot waves again, but that could be just a mental thing. You may. Um, you know, it, it's... It's just these little steps that you've got to get over that you will. Don't worry, you will. But just be diligent. And if you smoke, don't. <laughs> Give it up. How many smokers were in there getting heart operations while I was in there? I was the fittest person in there and they couldn't believe it. They're like, you're just fit. What are you doing in there? I said, well, this is what happened. Oh, mine's 25 years of smoking. Mine's 30 years of smoking. My other guy was the side of a house. Obesity. Wrong guy. One of the nurses made a joke. He came out of the shower and he's like, oh, they've taken my food. No, I was going to have some toast for brekkie, but they've taken it because he was in the shower. He, this guy was big. He was 120 plus, 130 kilos. And the nurse said, ah, I'll just duck down to McDonald's and get you some McDonald's. How's that? I'll get you a cheeseburger or something for brekkie. And he's like, oh, yeah. yeah, Oh, yeah. Oh, no. No. That's what got me in here in the first place. And I was standing there. I was actually sitting across from him going, good man, well done. Don't do it. Don't do it. But the amount of smokers that were in there, and it's like, guys, just don't. You, you want to surf till you're 80 or you're older if you can, then don't. Just look mm. after yourselves. Whether you're 15 or 65 or 80 or whatever, just don't. Don't vape. Don't do it. Just look after yourself because it's the best sport in the world. Best sport on the planet. The people you meet, um, just that euphoric feeling of catching waves and, and then the talking the shit in the car park after it, having a beer with someone or even in the car park before and then all your mates out in the water, you're talking shit. 
what else can you do that? <laughs> no, well, it's good that you uh, you packed up the the bag in the football room and walked out. Yep, yep, for sure, definitely. Don't have any regrets about that at all. No. Yeah, I don't mind if we go out and you know, out in the street and have a kick with them. Oh, nephews yeah. and stuff like that. Cool. Have a hit of cricket with them still. Have a hit of tennis there. And I used to have a hit of tennis. Cool. Go and do that. It's all good. No, just... I think serving gives the most. You know, travel, travel, culture, fitness, yep. longevity. Yep. Um, you can go as hard as you want or as soft as you want. You know, That's there's right. so many different mediums within yep. the medium. It's, yep. it's, and the it's, amount of people I've met just through surfing um, is just nuts. And. The amount of guys in this town, like the you know the the Kale Bell Warren and Johnny Orkins, Timmy Orkins, all those young guys that I've known since they were at school, and I've seen them progress from little grommies in their first time they've come out of Bells and Winky and to up to what they've achieved now and how good a surfers they are and all the, all the stuff that they do. Um, like with Kale and, and then you know, even Robbo. I can remember seeing Robbo when he was a kid, you know, surfing and that. And then, and just seeing the, the achievements that they've done. But also when I see these guys and we still chat and if I see them out, we have a beer and, and just I've seen their life story and it's just fantastic. Yeah. It's just unbelievable yeah. how well they've done and, and the stuff they do. Um, so, yeah, and, and the stories that we can tell that – Oh, I remember the game being a little shit when you're a grom and the stuff you got up to and all that, and so you can relate. And then and they come back back at you with stuff that you've done. And oh, I remember that time you did this, that, and the other. And you're like, yeah, yeah, you remember that, do you? Yep. So, um, and even you know, I just come back from Queensland, took a board up there for a mate that you know I did a board for thirty something years ago from Tassie. He was over here on a trip, came in with another mate of mine that 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 knew him, and. Um, I've been doing boards for him ever since. Um, and when I went up there during last week to deliver the board, because it was actually cheaper for me to take the board up there than it was to freight it, and I'd never been to Agnes Waters and that before, so it was really good to go and check it out. But just all the stories we were talking about from back in the Tassie days and the road trips that we did back in the 90s and um, early 2000s and that when he'd come here or I'd go down there and all the crew that I still know down there that, you know, we did a trip down there last year and um, we'd go to a mate's place in Launceston and, you know, he's been a Tassie champion X amount of times and he goes, right, the winds are going to be this, go there. The swell's coming from this direction. And, and all the tips that he's given me, but all the places I know where to go through all these guys and there's a lot of them I've, I've never told anybody about ever. No. No, 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 and and I wouldn't have found these places if it hadn't been for these guys. Yeah. But I'm not going to go and stick them on YouTube and Instagram. I'm, no, no, no. Yeah, occasionally I might have a mate come in and give me a map, and I'll go look, go there and there. But if you get caught there, you just happen to wander in there, and you don't even know how you got there. You don't say nothing. Fine, no worries. We're with that. So. Uh, you know, there's a lot of crew down there that I know and a lot of crew I've met down there um, through these people and just through surfing that are just fantastic people that have kept in touch. So you um, – and, and as I was saying before, it, you know, I've, we went up the coast the year before up to – I think it was when Victoria went into a seven-day lockdown, included Torquay, and um, we couldn't work and we just went – Sarah said, well, do you want to jump in the van and go up the coast? I went, oh, all right. 
So we did. Went up the coast, went up to Cabarita where one of her girlfriend lives, checked the bucket list off, surf snapper, green mount, and then we worked our way back down. Arawara, and, uh, and then we got the Crescent Head. And Crescent Head was pumping. It's like six foot, sitting out the back. Next thing I hear somebody go, oi, and turn around. What are you doing here? And I was like, what are you doing here? Somebody I know. He goes, oh, yeah. Most of the, um, I think, Seoul Longball Club from Bowen Eds and a few other crew were there because it was supposed to be a comp, the malediction or whatever it is, but it got called off because of COVID. But they said, yeah, well, you can still, you, you've booked, you may as well go. So, and then all of a sudden, um, I'm down surfing down in front of the river mouth there. There's half a dozen crew down there that I haven't seen for ages. There was a young couple that were Phil Island. She was on one of my boards. Stigo, what are you doing up here? And then there was another mate, and I'm like, he lives in Canada. And I went, Oi. he's turned around, oh, I'm back, I'm building a house here, I'm just back for a couple of weeks, how are you going? And then I'm sitting out on the grass having a coffee, tap on the shoulder. Oh, Digger, what are you doing here? And it's like, holy shit, this is like this yeah. crew from Torquay, Phillip Island, all around the joint that I've met all through surfing. And, and whether I've done boards for them, um, I remember Rob brought in an old single fin. He wanted the front cover of Pink Floyd's, um, oh, geez, what's the name of that album with the pyramid on the front? The, and the, with the shard of light through it. Yeah, yeah. all that. Um, and oh, Dark Side of the Moon or whatever it's called. Yeah, I think that. And I, I sprayed that for him. So that's on his wall. Um, yeah, this young lady with her hobby, they'd gotten boards off me and... Um, and the same with one of the other guys and then just other guys I'd known just through seeing in the water all the time. So you just get to meet this massive diverse diversity, I suppose, diversity. Yeah, eclectic a, mix. Eclectic mix of people all through surfing. Nothing else but surfing. That's mm. what we all do. Yeah. Love, um, of, love of the ocean. Yeah. And we've, we've got all that common thread that we want to surf and we're going to chase it. You know, they're all up the coast and it was pumping and all the way down the coast there's just people everywhere that I knew that was like, yeah, yeah, we saw the swell on the lockdown so we came up here too. So it's like, it's nearly like everywhere you go now you bump into someone. Didn't Tassie last year? The year before, sorry, the year before. Bruny Island pumping, surfing there. And we'd had a surf in the morning with quite a few crew. And then there's two guys out there. One of them came over to me and he goes, you're a shaper from Torquay. And I was like, yeah. He goes, yeah, I recognise your logo. Um, I shift, I've just shifted down here and my mate over there. So we're from Bar and Eds, but I've seen your boards. And I was like, oh. So then we got chatting. He, they live on Bruni now, best thing they ever did. You know, moved over. They're loving life, blah, blah, blah. And then later on in the afternoon, we go, we're going to go for a late evening. It's glassed off, no one in the water. It's beautiful, beautiful. We see two heads out there, and we're like, oh, it's just a couple of guys out there. We paddle out. It's Carl Mooney and Pete. They'd just gotten there, paddled out, and we're just like, there's four people from Torquay surfing pumping waves at the bottom of the planet at Bruni Island. How good is this? So we all surf till um, dark, and then, you know, same thing. We got out of the water. Campground, beers, all that sort of stuff it was like, wow, middle of, here we are in Tassie and we've bumped into you guys. We knew they were over there, but we didn't know where they were. Yeah, yeah. And then we've just bumped into them. So I was like, this is so cool. So um, it's a good life, Dico. 
It is. And keep, it's a good second chance at one, too. Keep the ticker ticking. Yes. And the yes. froth, frothing. Oh, and the froth. We might have to dial the froth a little bit. but No, <laughs> keep the froth, frothing. I'm going to say thanks, Dicko. Thank you. Yeah, awesome. Thank you. I'm so stoked. Thanks so much for, you know, sharing. Yeah, sure. No, that's cool. I'm stoked. Honoured to have stoked. you on. Um, I'm stoked that you asked me. Sweet. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you have it. There was my chat with none other than Darren Dixon. So there you have it. Thank you so much for tuning in, Dicko. Thank you so much for coming over and being so just open and honest and just yourself. It's just great, man. It's great. Um, Keep the ticker ticking. I love it. And for whoever you are out there in the rest of the world, keep your ticker ticking. You know, keep uh, keep one foot in front of the other. Keep trying to do the right thing. It's fucking tough out there sometimes, man. Um, if you're listening, thank you so much for lending me your ears. And until next time, take it easy. All right. Adios. <laughs> <laughs>